0: In just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link.
1: Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. We do, we do. Maybe,
2: maybe. Does anyone here know
1: the lyrics? Maybe, Ruben! Like, like see, like Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version. So with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 197. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined today by Chris Reagan. Chris, yeah. before we even hear from you today. Before you even say one more word, we're doing something very unusual. We're going straight to Joe, who wrote into us on Patreon. He says, Colin, what in the hell is going on? For the past few episodes of Sacred Symbols, I've had to listen to you simping over Chris every time you start an episode, how suave he looks, his wonderful attire, how clean his glasses are. Letting Chris know how beautiful he looks isn't the problem. He's enough to make the straightest of men start questioning their sexuality. I get it, Colin. The problem lies in the fact that Dustin has to wait there, hoping, nay, praying that he'll throw him some sort of compliment on how good-looking his round Headed beauty looks, only to be met with O, and Dustin is here. Unacceptable. Mm. Give my boy Dustin some love. You're his father, for Christ's sakes. Much love to all, especially Dustin, on this sorrowful day. Thank you, Joe, for writing in. A little confusing because you're telling me like I'm attracted to him, but that I'm also a- his father. I mean, weird shit happens out oh. there. But So, Chris, I, I, before we even... I, I didn't want you to say anything else. I just wanted to introduce you today uh, simply as Chris Reagan. How are you today?
3: I'm well. I'm, I like how he brought up my good attire. I'm wearing a shirt right now that says Kill Me Yeah, in the Seinfeld... Fond. <laughs> it's my I, merch so i guess this is good attire according to the audience which is good compliment yeah, yeah
1: that's Appreciate a great it. shirt i i have that i have a kill me sticker on my um on my fridge in the garage you know how you people have like in the suburbs have like a second fridge usually in the garage yeah. they have one so i have one yeah yeah yeah. and so when people walk by on the sidewalk or by my house they, they see that that sticker just says kill me on it i'm sure they think it's wonderful <laughs> uh dustin Furman, how are you doing my beautiful lovely I mean, apparently I need to really gas you up here. Uh, apparently. Let's juice Dustin up. I guess he really needs that juice. Mm.
3: Mm. Mm.
4: Dustin now, Furman,
1: executive producer. How are you?
4: I, I'm, I'm very good. Drinking an, uh, an Americano today. Holly stopped by the coffee shop, which is great. And about Joe's right in here. I mean, it's appreciated. Obviously, everyone likes a compliment here and there. But, you know, deep down, I know Colin loves me. I don't need him to gas me up publicly that's that's all good and fine um and colin and i talk regularly throughout the week where colin and chris not that you guys don't have a a, a relationship of any sort but colin and i are working very directly on a lot of this content so it's you yeah. know maybe maybe you know the the what what is it uh the distance makes the heart grow fonder right, in that right. moment for chris right that's i gotta exactly, say last week
2: a little exactly egregious it.
4: though maybe because it was a whole conversation with chris a subtle, like, oh, and this is Dustin. And then back to the conversation with Chris. Right, maybe right, right. <laughs> that maybe had me a little bit in my feelings, but I had moved on. That's fair enough. But that's okay. I mean, uh, f- it's all good and fine.
3: There's yeah. a few
1: things. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris, go ahead. I didn't mean to <laughs> No, right I was
3: going to say, that's that's not, that's an accurate, because like Colin and I don't really speak until we record, because I'm just like, I'm an isolated person naturally. And Colin's also kind of the same. So we we sort of like <laughs> converge once a week to do the show, because I'm just working on other shit or just like distracted my adhd ass you know like uh so this is really the first time this is these are really especially lately the only times that Colin and i speak
1: yeah definitely you know i i think i talked to you offline about your 1099 which i had a track down i finally like god almighty i don't know what was going on with that situation but that was yeah not your fault it was totally our fault but i don't know but generally speaking i have like some business things to tell chris or whatever And then I otherwise leave him alone. See, I I get the vibe from Chris that, like he said, he's like me. He doesn't want to hear from me. You know? (laughs) Now, Dustin's different. But I will say this, and this is what I was going to say before uh, I interrupted Chris, was Chris was here first. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to show him a little bit of deference. He was the first person that I... Actually, Dagan was really first. But Chris was here in this show first, um, as far as getting the shows off. You know, and then, Dustin, you came in later. And then we brought you even even later than that, because you came in as our editor and all this. So... Stand down.
4: Colin, would you say that I feel like I remember this from years ago now, but I remember you saying something that the way that I communicated with you early on was pivotal in my hiring because specifically I left you alone.
1: (laughs) Yes. No, it's exactly right. There are people. (laughs) I'm talking to a person soon on Sacred Symbols Plus. Nice person, but they do the I'm sending you a DM and then I'm also sending you an email thing. And Mm. I finally was like, don't do that. Like that it's it, in my in my mind. It's like, do that one more time. <laughs> I'm just not going <laughs> to talk to you at all. And people that understand that about me and some people do. I appreciate we had a situation recently with one of our vendors that we're working with where they were they wanted to, like, talk to me instead of Dustin. And I had to email them and be like, no one talks to me. Yeah, you know, like, I'm sorry. Dustin makes all the decisions. And to Dustin's credit and Dustin knows this. I said this to him explicitly. Dustin's unfireable. If Mm. anyone in this Mm. world has has uh, job security, it's Dustin Furman. Who has job security because I can't I don't even know what I'm supposed to do to run this business anymore. Mm. (laughs) Like, I have no idea what's going on half the time. So Dustin Furman, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. This is (laughs) Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. We appreciate you. This is episode 197. Like we said, oh, we're getting close, getting close. 198 and 199. Then episode 200 here in Richmond, Virginia, top 25 PlayStation 4 games. Come join us. TinyURL.com slash Sacred200. Meet hundreds of your fellow fans and we'll be there. Uh, unfortunately, VIP tickets have been long sold out, but general admission tickets are there for you for the taking. We appreciate you. Snark Tank, Chris's podcast is opening up. I'm very excited about this. I'm specifically excited. I was um starting to marinate on this with Micah now that we're a few weeks out. I'm like, I think the night before. But I think I said this to you, Dustin. I think the night before the show, I'll just have everyone over the house. It's not gonna be probably warm enough to swim and stuff yet, which is unfortunate, but we can have like a little barbecue and hang out and you know, we can kind of like mingle and be social and then the next day is the show. So I'm really excited about that. Come hang out with us on April thirtieth here in Richmond, Virginia. TinyURL.com slash sacred two hundred. The list has been determined. I don't know it. Dustin doesn't know it, Chris doesn't know it. But the list has been determined. We've all voted, the fans have voted. If The Last of Us Part 2 isn't number one on that list, I'm going to be so fucking mad. I'm just letting you know. When it pops up at, like, number 12 or something, I'm going to walk off the stage.
4: Chris and I can handle the
3: show at that point. Yeah.
1: I yeah, so. yeah, make it,
4: We'll
3: make it work. We'll make it work.
1: If you do support us over on Patreon, we appreciate it. Patreon.com slash Last is more than 12,500 of you over there right now. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Get early ad-free access to the show. The ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, which I pepper throughout the show and shout out by the way to this this new pepper i am a big black pepper fan and i got this grind you yourself uh sometimes okay But i got this black pepper sometimes not because i use so much of it too i have mm. like a little spoon in a pepper like jar and i just like you know do a little of this but i went to this place and got pepper infused with bell peppers so it's like brown dark it's just i'll tell you what it's something special what was i talking about Patreon.com Discord, all the other things as well. Sacred Symbols Plus now. Sacred Symbols Plus goes live twice a week on Patreon. We've done recent ones about Horizon and Elden Ring. We're going to do one about Ghostwire, which we're going to talk about in a little while. GT7's coming up. I invited a friend of the show, Gio Corsi, to the show to celebrate Vita, which we're going to do, and that will go live soon. He's, of course, a big shot over at Ilphonic now, who we talked about recently on the show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But one I did recently was with Hassan Karaman. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Another one I did recently that has already gone live is with Tom from Moore's Law is dead. And I'm pleased to announce uh, James Fraley wrote in and said, uh, hey, guys, Colin, great job adding Tom from Moore's Law as a contributor to the last stand team. Always enjoy the discussions between the both of you. He definitely has the knowledge and know how to be a part of this quadruple A production. Everyone keep up the great work. It definitely is leaps and bounds above your peers. Thank you, James, for writing in. So, yeah, welcome, Tom from Moore's Law is dead as our second contributor Of course, Hogue is our legal contributor now. I don't like, and we're going to talk about this later, about the way people are paid and abused and used in the media. And uh, I don't like doing that. So with both Hogue and with Tom, I'm the one who approached them and said, like, can I start paying you to be on the show? Because it feels so awkward to say, like, oh, come on the show and tell us everything you know. Yeah. And then I'll just make money on it. So welcome. Appreciate that. Glad to have you on board. So thank you all out there for supporting us on Patreon. Now... Boys, there's a few things to get into. Actually, quite a few things to get into, including a correction for me at the top. James Mullins wrote in and said, Dear CDC, greetings and salutations. I let it slide for a week, but I can stay silent no longer. I joined Patreon after being a scallywag to correct an injustice. I thought someone else would mention it, but it seems I must be the change I want to see. On episode 195, when you fellows lament the lack of quality asymmetrical multiplayer by way of a new Ghostbusters game, Colin referred to the Naughty Bear developer behavior as defunct. They are very much not, and ironically are behind one of the more successful asymmetrical games going, Dead by Daylight, which has purported 50 million total players with 1.5 million daily as of October of last year. And dutiful PlayStation Plus subscribers should have this game in their libraries from a few years back. Do you like the idea of playing as a ghost? How about Michael Myers, Leatherface, or Freddy Krueger? I don't like the idea of playing as any of those things. Although, in Ghostwire Tokyo, I'm playing as a ghost. And I'm enjoying that very much, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. You're right. I looked this up. I don't know why I thought Behavior was dead. I think it's because they literally haven't made anything since Dead by Daylight of any consequence, but they're still surviving off of that game. I forgot. Do you remember they used to be called, be called artificial mind and movement? You guys remember that by chance? No, that's when I think they no. I think it was during that era that they made Naughty Bear actually, which is a dope ass game. Love to see yeah. that come back.
3: Okay. I miss that. I miss that premise like those, those like mm. weird premise games that like right. I feel like you could only get around that time. That's like the exactly double A right. environment that we're always that I'm always talking about. It's just like I love that that time when you just had games like Naughty Bear and just see like Fracture, like Dark Void, whatever the hell right. are these? Even? Definitely you're
1: absolutely right. I would. It's like <laughs> the first Naughty Bear ran so badly on PS3 that I would even call it like A point five or something. Like it wasn't even double A. A <laughs>
3: point you
1: know? five, but A point re- double K A <laughs> or Lower lowercase A, exactly right. A B, but. I'd love to see that series come back. I agree with you. There's a lot of interesting ideas back then. They just they don't percolate like that anymore, unfortunately. No. Michael Hawkins wrote in, said, Colin, how on God's green earth do you not take shelter or at least watch the weather during a tornado warning? I live in Alabama, and every time we have severe storms, the weatherman is on with his sleeves rolled up, calling out rotations. You can bet your ass if we are under a tornado warning, we are in the basement bathroom with our bicycle helmets on. Now that you live in the South, you might have to start taking it more seriously. Otherwise, I love the show at hope all as well. Several people wrote in about this someone even wrote in and was like here's a picture of what happened the last time i had a tornado warning and it was like just destroyed like their neighborhood or whatever and i'm like i'm sorry to hear that and by the way a tornado really did touch down in my town uh, when we were doing that so i heard so was it a little flippant yes do i have a death wish yes thank you for writing in. errant rob in and said greetings colin chris and dustin chris i think you'll like this one especially It's always talked about on the show what people are doing when listening to the show, and I had to share because it is so directly connected to last week's episode. I listen to the podcast through Bluetooth in my car regularly, so I have the volume up quite a bit to cancel out any other outside noises. This past week, we expected terrible weather and were encouraged to head out of our job before it began. So imagine my surprise when a torrential downpour of rain, uh, during a torrential downpour of rain, I hear the Gamer Battalion alarm on Colin's phone. The moment that alarm sounded, I startled so badly I nearly went off the road. While also believing that I was going to be caught in a tornado to be whisked away like Dorothy, since my gut reaction was to believe the sound was coming from my phone, after all, I could think and laugh about was the idea of the last words I could have heard on Earth were Gamer Battalion and e l fudge Thank you, Rob for writing in. Stay safe I love there. it, yeah,
3: I just love the thought of this <laughs> it, it there's it's just the world the the universe in general is so chaotic that the thought of just that coincidence happening, possibly more than one time is just like staggeringly amusing to me
4: here's what we got to consider too we've we've talked about people have talked about almost dying listening to sacred symbols if someone did die listening to the show how would we know well we wouldn't they wouldn't be able to tell us unless a you know a
3: family member was like they reached out to us showed up to the side to the scene and then heard it playing. It's like, oh wow, that's sacred symbols. They must have died listening to this. I have, is... a drunk...
1: <laughs> I have a darker solution, which is that it could oh. be on the the body cam of the cops oh, as wow. they arrive yeah. at the scene.
3: Oh, <laughs> they just hear you screaming about ale fudge. Yeah. What about somebody who's brought into the world, and the first thing they hear is sacred symbols? So, what if yeah, like the so, awesome. so oh. husband's listening to it loudly in the hospital room, and the wife's like, hey, can you please, can you please stop? Can you please shut that tripe off? And then the first thing the baby hears as it, as it opens its eyes, as it's whisked into this beautiful world of ours, is Gamer Battalion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> woo! woo. <laughs> Welcome to Earth. As the saying goes, yes, indeed. Well, I'm glad you're safe, Aaron Rob. Stay safe out there. I'll certainly take my safety a little more seriously in the future. Now, I don't have a, I said last week, we live... My town is, like, just all clay. Like, you know, like, really bad for, um, like, you know... No one talks about the types of dirt. No one cares. But clay doesn't deal with water well, so you just shouldn't build basements in clay soil. So there are no basements in my like in my area. Mm. So I'm going away if this happens. I have nowhere to be. Yeah, I have to build a safe room or something. Remember that? Remember that movie? You guys are a little young, but you probably remember it. Panic Room. That was a yeah, good one. yeah. I do remember that. I saw that in a the theater. Believe it or not, I don't... that's <laughs> like they're in the area. Do you see anything? You just go see anything. Yeah. Get out of the house. All right. Now I don't ever want to leave the house. Strange how times change. All right. Guys, not to uh, be too self promotional, but we're going to be, or I'm going to be. My developer that I co own and write for, Lilimo, we've announced our fifth game, finally. I've been teasing it for a long time. It's called Super Perils of Baking. It's coming to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, as well as Xbox One, Xbox Series, S and X, Switch, and PC on June 3rd. It is a two D side scroller. It is an ode to the SNES era. You're going to see a lot of references to Super Mario World and Donkey Kong and other things. You're gathering cookies instead of coins or rings, etc. And I wrote the entire game in verse. It, it's written like a storybook and it's for adults and it's for children. But I wrote it hoping that maybe some parents will play it with their children as well. And I think that'll be really fun. No tricks either. No contracts. There's no no politics or deep meaning. There's lessons and it's just about love and honor and respect and all that I think you guys are really going to dig it about two brothers that grow up in this uh culinary tradition their family all do these amazing things in the culinary world and they go to baking school to become bakers and they're rivals but they love each other but then one of them finds this evil baking hat that brings everything he makes to life and that's what the story's about and so the other brother has to go and kind of bring the brother back from the the other brother back from the brink convince him not to use this hat and uh so we've written something that I think is really funny and cute. And uh it's our biggest game. It started as a free patch for the original game. So Perils of Baking is our original game. I wasn't even part of Lily Mode during that time. And we started just kind of fucking around with it and then it just got out of control. We ended up just remaking the entire thing. It's just totally remade from the from the ground up, everything about it. And it's beautiful, it's our most expensive production, and I think it's our best game. Frankly. I'm really excited and interested to see what people think now. Uh Dustin, you've gotten hands on with it, right?
4: I actually haven't yet. I I cut oh, the trailer, but right, Barry did trailer. all the capture. Oh so. bummer! I was but I see. saw there's some maybe some downloads that I can get access to, and yeah, you, check I mean, you it can out play for the for game myself, whenever you want. Sure, so. yeah,
1: there's a package out there. Um, yeah, we're so yeah, June third, we're we're getting there. We were trying to get something for Hybroxia two on PS five going in between. We're still working on that, so that might be coming as well, but. Obviously, we can't rely. No one's written about the game. Now, I'm not upset about that. We didn't send out a press release, nor did do we expect people to write about random indie games. But we are really relying on you guys to check out the trailer. It's on Last Day Media's YouTube channel. Um, we hope that you support it when it comes out. It's going to be 10 bucks. We think that that is the sweet spot for downloadable games. I think people are starting to get a little nickel and dimey. I think we can sell more copies at a lesser rate. And I really do believe this is our most accessible and interesting game yet it's not like this hardcore arcade shooter or something (laughs) yeah and uh or twin breaker was just like this very rng heavy difficult old school brick breaking game so this is a more accessible game but there's a lot of stuff in it new game plus there are collectibles you know like in uh super mario world you would collect yoshi coins or in donkey kong you collect uh, kong letters we have that in ours we have speed trials and all of the rest, so there's a bunch of things to get, and I'm do- I've am do. i done something, I think I mentioned this before, but I'm doing something with the trophies, and we are, that we've never done, that I, as far as I can tell, has never been done before, and I'm really excited about it. The PS4 and PS5 versions of Perils are indistinguishable from each other. They both run exactly the same. These games could run on a PS1, so it's not like we, we need the power of the PS5. Right. So what we've done to differentiate them instead, because you're going to get them both for the same price on PlayStation, is the PS4 version has a, Accessible trophy list that well you'll have to work for, but you'll be able to get the platinum trophy. The PS5 list is comically hard, and um, like you're gonna have to beat the the game's gonna beat the shit out of most of you to to <laughs> if you want to try to get the PS5 platinum. And the reason we wanted to do this was to say like we're tired of the auto popping trophies, we're tired of the thoughtless trophies, and we wanted to do something different. So what we said was like let's make one list. Everyone's gonna get both games. So if you want to play the gettable trophy list, play the PS4 version. If you want to challenge yourself. Get the PS5 version. So, for instance, the PS5 version, you get a bronze trophy. It's like beat a stage, get all the coins, get no damage, get the baked coins, beat every enemy, beat the time thing and all of the rest. Then you get a trophy, right? Like that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. on new game plus, I think as well. <laughs> so we want to see how the numbers change and like how people respond to it. And you lose nothing by doing that because you still have the PS4 version. You can just play it on PS5. The PS5 version is kind of the the unique thing. And um, we're excited, too. We'll talk more about this. But Brian at PlayStation Trophies, who's a buddy of mine, the, the PS Trophies website and video series, he helped us make the list. So we're excited about that as well. So Super Perils of Baking, Game 5 from Lillibow, June 3rd. Unfortunately, no Vita. We cannot put it on Vita. Little tidbit. We were building this game natively on Vita in the beginning. And like we would built all of our games and then we had to port it over. So thanks, Sony. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah. Jean-Claude Brulé wrote in, said, hey, Colin, congrats on your soon-to-be-released Super Perils of Baking. Now that you have published a few games with Lilymo, how is it publishing your games on different platforms? Does one company have more hoops to jump through than others? Are PS5 native apps any more difficult to publish than PS4 native? Any insight would be appreciated. Many thanks. So I wanted to take this moment to give a shout-out to Ben. Ben Smith, who's our associate producer uh, at Last Day Media, is also our associate producer at Lilymo. And he deals with all the developers or the publishing stuff. And it's a it is annoying. It's a lot of different things. That's why you need someone to do it. I will say we applied for Game Pass and were declined. So that's what we were waiting for. We actually had wanted to announce the game a little sooner, maybe even get it out a little sooner. But We were waiting to hear from Microsoft. We finally heard and they said, nay, nay, sir, we don't want your game. And I'm like, OK, fair enough. They didn't say it quite that mean, of course. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, Thomas Critz. Did I read that one? I don't think uh, I... I didn't read this one. He says, Hi, Last Stand Crew. Just watch the Super Perils of Baking Trailer on Patreon, and I've got to say the game looks awesome. 2D platformers are my favorite genre of games, so I'm glad to see these games uh, come back. I've never played the original, so I'm looking forward to playing the game for the first time. I also want to say thanks for all the hard work of remaking the game. It would have been really easy to just re-release the game. I know I'm not speaking alone when I say it won't go unnoticed. You have a day one purchase for me when the game comes out. Thanks again, Thomas from Kentucky. Thank you, Thomas. I should have probably read that a little earlier. It does allow me to reiterate, though, that this... I'm glad to make a game like this because it is, you know, like 2D platformers today. They're like pretty hardcore. When you think of 2D platformer, you think of like Super Meat Boy or yeah. what was the game with like the little rabbit character that was Metroidvania game that was really good. Uh, uh, the rabbit fist? No, no, well that, that's one too. But it's like the it was the really popular one. It wasn't like really a rabbit. They were like ghost kind of. Why can't I think of the goddamn oh, Hollow game? Hollow Knight. Yeah, Hollow Knight. Like oh. there are these <laughs> there are these games that they there's an association with 2d and difficult yeah and that seems to be the thing that's shovel knight right like the most Mm. the cyber shadow cyber shadow and all this shit they're all hard games we wanted to do something that was a little more accessible because in fact on snes and genesis as i'm sure you guys know like those games existed there were a shit ton of 2d platformers not all of them were hardcore and I would consider Super Mario World to be one that is much more accessible. And that's kind of our, lo- our uh, our what, what would you call a load star? Isn't that right? The the North Star that you would point something towards. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm i really excited about it. Hope you guys enjoy it when it comes out. We'll talk about it more. Alex Shute wrote in and said, I don't mean to be this guy, but I have reached the end of my tether with the three of you. It's niche, not niche. Please correct yourselves, your grammar, and your lives. I don't know how many times I have to say this. We anglicize words in the English language, just like every other language does. We are using words on a constant basis that come from other things. In fact, you use the word "grammar," which comes from the French "grammaire," but you're calling it "grammar." Correct? <laughs> I don't, Alex. Correct? Oh, oh it's niche. Uh, it's it's oh. niche, and it's constant. Comp- I have no compass. problem with people saying niche, but it, but niche is a Accepted anglicized version of the word and has been for hundreds of years. Hmm. You know? I,
3: yeah i I say I, I feel like those for whatever reason when I use and I'm I'm sure I'm using these incorrectly because I just use things how I damn well please and you just have to have to deal with that. Right. But n- niche I always think of like niche as like if something carves out a niche for itself. You know what I mean? Like it's like oh hey this is like a this is like a niche is almost like a noun. Where it's like, oh, this is like a place where this like obscure thing goes, but like a niche is like the like the concept of it. Like, Mm. oh, that's a that's a niche premise. It's Mm. like a descriptive word for niche. Interesting. I know that's definitely not real. That's definitely not how it's supposed to be. That's how I've been using it for a long time, and no one's ever had a problem with it. So that actually sounds very correct to me for some
4: reason. Yeah, it it always always sounded correct to me that way.
3: It always sounded correct to me too, even though like no one told me that. (laughs)
1: So. Damn, dude! I'm I'm just surprised he didn't say grammaire. Yeah, I know. Guess you don't know your French like you know your English, Alex. Thanks for writing it.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well.
1: Adam Razick wrote in and said, hello, Sacred Symbols, gentlemen. I just wanted to say that the Kyle Rittenhouse joke during last week's show caught me off guard so much that I almost dropped the weight on my head during my workout routine. I love another dead listener. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I love this is a death wish uh, podcast. I love (laughs) listening to Sacred Symbols at the gym, but it's starting to become a health risk because of how funny the three of you can be sometimes. If I had gotten my head crushed by the weight, at least I would have died with a huge smile on my face. Thanks for all the unexpected and potentially lethal laughs. Thank you, Adam. (laughs) Glad you're safe. I don't um, think
3: you would have been smiling, bro. Like, I th- No. <laughs> I, th- I don't think that would have been a smile, man. I think, I think, would, I think you're really overestimating.
1: If you're smiling, it's because you're a vegetable. But I appreciate yeah. that someone made a picture. I don't know where I saw it of, of Kyle Rittenhouse with the character that you were talking about, Dustin. And it is totally true that it looks like Kyle Rittenhouse. I will cop to that. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty apt reference, actually, which is what makes it so funny. So well done. God. Who keeps sucking all my yaks dry? I wrote in said hello, Sacred Symbols crew. I am here today to drive a wedge between a son and his father. Colin said in a discussion on knockback that he loves the show home improvement and he thinks Tim Allen is hilarious. Chris, on the other hand, states constantly on Stark that he hates Tim Allen and that home improvement is an absolutely idiotic show. <laughs> Let the family feud begin. Chris, <laughs> I didn't know that you felt this way about Tim Allen and home improvement. What's your, uh, what's your take on this?
3: It's just a terrible show. Like to me, it's like when I think about because the thing it's like when I think about Home Improvement and I think about I think about old sitcoms that have like stood the test of time or that have like been, uh, you know, kind of carried into the modern world via like memes or like highly shareable clips and stuff. And I feel like Home Improvement just it existed where it existed and then it died and then no one talked about it ever again. Like, there's no... You're constantly seeing, like, the that Seinfeld... Seinfeld constantly keeps re-emerging into the public consciousness. Most recently, it was that... uh, It was, like, the Kramer with the red... The 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 Kenny Rogers chicken right, light. Right, and right. It. And he's, like... And it, people were, like, memeing that. It's, like, oh, what's going on in there? It's, like, it's, it's the Hunger Games, Jerry. And, yeah. it's, and it's, like... It's the Covenant, Jerry. Yeah, it's the Covenant, Jerry. <laughs> and it's, like, there there are all these ways that, like, really good shows, like, kind of persist. But Tim Allen just sort of... And also, there's just like the stand-up that Tim Allen has, where he just barks constantly. It's like a person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I, part. <laughs> I, I just don't I don't get it. Like it, it reminds me of like when when uh like PewDiePie would scream, you know. It's just like what is this? Like I, I don't understand. Maybe it's because I don't own like a like a tool time public access show. So I can't. <laughs> that is why to you don't it.
1: understand it. You have to have that show. <laughs> to understand i should get a tool time shirt i don't know why i've never done that you should i just totally disagree with you on this i i so here's the thing is that people that have listened to me for a long time will remember a guy named ryan clements he's a writer in the industry now i think most recently he wrote um true colors the life is strange game yeah and he works actually on valorant now i think and back in the day we worked at ign together in fact we started the same day at ign july 16th 2007 as full-time employees and he was an editor on IGN PlayStation as well. And he was one of the co-hosts on Podcast Beyond. He was a good buddy of mine. And he and I used to go to lunch every day at the old IGN office and then bring the lunch back and sit in the break room and watch Home Improvement reruns. On They were on at like one o'clock or something on Fox or some Fox family or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to sit there and watch it. And it's, you're right, because it's I growing up, I watched so much TV like a lot of us did, especially in my era, because we had the Internet. Like I didn't get the Internet in my house until I was 12 which is pretty early 96 95 96 it's pretty early so you can imagine a life before that when you really had nothing to do that's around the and time that I got it too yeah so that's yeah. like a good dial up 36 33, 6 modem 28, 8 modem whatever so i uh I was watching so much tv at that time and there's just it just comes and goes and home improvement was just one of those shows it was on abc i remember and all this but when i started sitting down and watching it like back to back to back to back over months i was like this show is fucking funny And I really and I really we were like laughing out loud. Tim Allen is like a funny I find Tim Allen to be very funny and very charming. And, you know, what reaffirmed it in me is that I think it's over now, but he did that Fox show for years. uh, Last Man Standing, which is basically home improvement where he owns an outdoor shop instead of working on this this show. And that show is hysterical, too. Like that show is funny. And what I think it's what's funny about it is just it's kind of wholesome. It's a little bit inappropriate. But there's something about Tim Allen and his self-deprecation that I quite like. So I'm happy to stand right. for Tim Allen all day. And I'm surprised, Chris, that you don't give him a little bit more OG energy because you do you know that I'm sure you know about the whole cocaine thing in the 80s with him. Oh, right? no, no, no. That's the funniest thing he's ever yeah, done. Yeah, That's like that's am- that's amazing <laughs> that he like turned on people. You could have went to prison for like the rest of his life. Yeah. And and I like, got out of that. And so it's like he has some interesting origins. And yeah,
3: no, he's an interesting guy. I just like I, I watch Home Improvement and I'm just I, I'm just slack by it like i'm just like I'm, I'm just staring at it i just don't i don't know what i'm supp- I, I don't know like I, I think it's just the it's very i guess it's very midwest i guess Definitely. there's part of it that's like Definitely. very like very much like that sensibility and it's, it's blue like collar the, and
1: conservative i think it's too. blue
3: collar and, and it's also got like this air of uh wholesomeness which i just loathe in, t- in a lot of television like I, it's it's why i can't stand full house either like, oh yeah full houses full that's... house is just it's like the opposite end where it's like it's so it's so so home it's so wholesome that it becomes just cynically loathsome like i i hate everything about that show why does he have a comedian friend living in this in his basement who's a ventriloquist it's insane that premise of that show <laughs> if you watch a single episode from like the middle of that show you'll be absolutely staggered by how bonkers that premise is Kimmy the neighbor but I don't know I I just like just like "Ah, I got a lawnmower (laughs) oh oh, oh, oh. me and sweetie always (laughs) we would we would we would make Tim Allen jokes and it would always end up just barking for five straight minutes because that's Mm. just what it was
1: yeah it was weird that that was his thing very much a product of the 90s that show it was Uh? yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah like that (laughs) (laughs)
4: Colin did you play the home improvement super nintendo game though no i didn't i actually think that
1: i i think dagan so dagan writes for pat country i don't know if anyone knows that dagan's my brother pat country is like a really popular retro game guy and he writes these like compilations of old console games and he did nes SNES, and stuff and dagan is written for those and i think he wrote the home improvement write-up if i'm not mistaken for that oh my god (laughs) like dagan gets like all of the trash you know pat wants you know pat does like zelda Mega Man, castlevania and then dagan gets like just.
3: Home the bottom of the barrel where, shit. where Tim Allen is fighting velociraptors in a metroidvania maze right it's a very weird game very weird game <sighs> that game is schizophrenic
1: to say the I've least seen, I've seen playthroughs of it but I, I didn't have it as a kid okay and then I, I would have never rent I wasn't into home improvement yet that's the mm. thing is I didn't become a Home improvement until
3: well you also probably wouldn't
1: buy a video game based on a
3: like a live action sitcom when you're a kid you know like that's like the least interesting TV to you at that age like oh i can't wait to play the nanny on sega genesis the like nanny. yeah i actually like that show from what i yeah, remember we talked about know, that a, a few months been a ago a long right? time it's been a long it, time since i've seen that show but i remember liking it probably i probably wouldn't now mr but.
1: sheffield yeah that, that's a it's a great show I, mean, I don't know why that's come up twice on the show now but it's a anyway <laughs> All right, what am I talking about? What else? Oh, okay, let's get into the news here. Now it's time to get into the thing. Well, not the real news, but there's you know, some smaller things to talk about here. We I wanted to start news. at the top. We can't ignore it. On Sacred Symbols Plus, I interviewed Hassan Karaman. I finally got the man, the myth, the legend, Hassan Karaman to sit down with me for an hour and I talked to him and I asked him everything I wanted to ask him. This thing's been making the rounds. Lots of new patrons, lots of views on YouTube, getting written about and covered. It's cool. Uh, I, I haven't heard from you guys about what you've thought about this, because th- Dustin, you were there for it. So you heard it as it was happening. And Chris, I think you listened to it. Mm-hmm, yeah. So actually, Chris, let's start with you. What did you make of this interview? I mean, what did you make of this coverage uh, sure. and what we learned? I, I, I must say that I am sorry that maybe people have been left more confused, but <laughs> but I did everything I could. And I, I all I can say is I'm very pleased that I got access because I asked them the questions that I wanted to ask. That's all I can control. So what did you think?
3: Yeah, I mean I thought you asked the right questions. I thought I thought it was I thought the motion capture on Hassan Karaman was very convincing. Uh, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> no, no, but I I, I don't know. I, I I left that interview uh with definitely obviously more insight into I definitely have a feeling that, okay, this is definitely like somebody who's just in way over their head. Is is kind of where I kind of left at the end of it. But also there are just so many more questions based on how much we know now it's just that those questions are less mysterious like it it, they're less ethereal it's more it's less about like what is this where did it come from and more like how is this even working based on what we know about it like the the whole 30k thing really like that i i rewound that a couple times to make sure i heard it correctly and i still am not quite sure if i did (laughs) but it was an interesting interview, and I think that's shi- that that is just objectively true in the sense that like it's being talked about in a way that I don't think a lot of other uh, in a way that I don't think a lot of other interviews with
1: this this feller has been. So, well, I think the the one thing I wanted to try to do first of all, we I've had what you would consider contentious or interrogative interviews before. Yeah. But my whole thing is to I want to be friendly, want to be fair, polite. And I think some people were disappointed. It's like, man, why didn't you nail him? Why didn't you do? And I'm like, I don't I'm not here to go. Gotcha, motherfucker. You know, that like wasn't the that wasn't what I was trying to do. I just wanted to get the information out there. People listening and watching can make your own conclusions. And people have running the entire gamut from this is conclusively Hodeo Kojima, which there is a whole strand of that now like a whole new strand of it. And then going obviously all the way to the other end where it's like, oh my God, what's going on here? So I think people that were looking for me to like dunk on Hassan or something or try, I was never going to do that. But what I can say is that I was unconvinced by many of his answers. They were weird, a lot of their answers. And what's unfortunate about this is that I've never really had an interview like this in such that I've never had to go into an interview skeptical that the game exists. And so... What I was I was talking to Mike and I was saying, you know what this reminds me of a little bit is and I brought this up in the past, I think on the show is The Order 1886 about how weird the preview coverage was for that game. And I talked about when the game was revealed at E3 that year in 2013, I guess it was. I had a brief interview with the guys from the studio, but when I went to see them, they showed me the trailer again, the same trailer we saw. And then I had a few minutes with them and I'm like, I had to spend all that time asking them about what the game was because what they could have shown me was just a screenshot of the game and I could have figured out it was a third person cover baseball blah, blah blah but I had to spend all this time kind of getting the operative information before I could even get to the nitty gritty and then I was out of time and yeah. here it's kind of similar in the sense that I had to ask him like who's I've never asked someone like who's funding your game I've never heard of a game announced that it's publisher is secret I've never heard of a game where you won't tell anyone who's working on it I've never heard of a game
3: yeah, made like in Unreal NDA Engine for, or something, right?
1: Right, like all the stuff NDA'd, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not trying to push you into into a corner with those kinds of things. But if you, the thing that really, there were two things that I thought were weird, like above, not above all else, but two things that stood out to me amongst others. The first thing is the thirty thousand dollar thing. you said the game has cost about thirty thousand dollars so far. Per- Super Parrels of baking costs substantially more than that to make, and it's. And I'm not saying that for any other reason than that we're not making a 3D Unreal Engine shooter. We made a 2D SNES clone. Right. So that really hung out to me. And then the other thing I thought was weird was him. I asked him about that random game on his PSN profile. And I didn't find that sufficient either because he was saying basically he made this small game for his cousin or something, but it would have suggested that his cousin had debug access or that he kind of. I don't know, somehow got this game published on the PSN in the back end and then it was going to share it via code or something. It's just there's just yeah. too many things that didn't make make a lot of sense but i think that people excuse me can suss that out themselves i don't think i need to sit there and be like well got you here and got you there when i when i felt like something didn't make sense like the money issue for instance or his outsourcing claims about all of that i said it to his face i mean it's just like that doesn't that doesn't jive but i i can't say that i know any more about this now I, I don't you sh- i have no you idea you
3: should have you should have asked him if the
1: moon was made of cheese would he eat it well, mm-hmm. is that is that danny car or what uh, not danny Carey. danny car- is a drummer tool uh harry carrie <laughs> harry right? carrie G- that's right <laughs> It's yeah. jiminy glick Jim- oh that's jiminy glick
3: yeah no, wait <laughs> it is
4: we brought up this conversation i remember bringing it up and saying was that uh jiminy glick and someone said no
3: it definitely was because i saw it i saw it like yesterday so it's like that's fresh awesome. in my brain
1: no i i believe you because because didn't um that when well, it was, it was a,
3: Will Ferrell doing Jiminy Glick or something like that.
1: No, that's Chris, Will Ferrell doing... Because you were wrong. That's Will no, that's Ferrell... That's the same thing, do, right? No, Jiminy Glick is Oh, Harry Carey. No, you're right, you're right. Yeah, you're Harry, right Harry that's, that's, that's Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey, Which is like, the same fucking fit, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's little, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Harry that's Carrey that's was... That's the
3: same exact person. <laughs> Harry Carey's
1: real. That was what... Yeah, if... Would you, if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? Like that kind <laughs> yeah. of shit. Dustin, what did kind you make of of the interview with hassan so there's a couple thoughts that i had first of all
4: just in observing the comments because like like you said there's everything under the sun as far as what you could think of this interview whether it's full-blown uh tinfoil hat kojima to people that were saying like oh we need to ease up Uh, hassan take your time in the game so everywhere in between some people i feel like uh, in so well how about this In some ways, I want to give Hassan the benefit of the doubt in a few circumstances because English is not his first language. Yes. Right. And so there was a couple things that people were really hung up on um, that. I just don't know if he quite said the right way. But that is not a full uh, blanket there that I would say about this interview. And. It's, it's funny because it's, uh, Colin, you were mentioned about talking to Micah. I was talking to Holly about this interview uh, and this whole process because it all came to get, that's something maybe we should get into at some point about how this sure. interview even came together was uh, very quick and very sudden and happened in a very interesting way. But what I was telling Holly is that I wonder if my theory from many months ago that this is a Elizabeth Holmes Theranos situation mm-hmm. where... Hassan was able to secure some funding of some sort and get some big partners on board. And maybe there was no game. Maybe there was no talent to back up what was sold to these people at the time. And Hassan in the the interview mentions about money drying up and things being self-funded. And it's one of those... If and I, I don't want to make blanket statements like Hassan is a liar. we don't know. we can only gather what we think may be true based on the interview. but it's one of those things where I wonder if there's certain things that he is stretching the truth or only giving you a select portion that is true and hiding the very relevant details. there's a lot of strange aspects, and you're right it it is Iron the one of the most ironic things to me about this is that we really don't it doesn't feel like we know much more uh at all it feels like we know so much more and nothing at the same time
1: yeah i feel like i well i feel like i have new questions but right but i will say this he i'm not gonna get into the, the specific things he and i have said behind closed or behind the scenes to each other but he did email saying that kind of frantically you were on the email saying like please stop talking about this please don't talk about this people are threatening us and all this and I'm like first of all it's unacceptable please log these things tell that to the police we have no intention of bringing heat down on you at all right um and we're not going to we're not going to you know bang the drum on this over and over again but it's an interesting story and I think the one thing that's lost on him I said this in an email to him months ago and I think one of the things that's really lost on him and I think we can all agree is, is like Do you take responsibility for anything? Like, is anything your fault? I I don't understand how it's anyone's fault but your own that this is happening to you. Right. And yeah, I tried to give him before he emailed that stuff. I said just previously he emailed I emailed him and just we thanked him. He actually thanked us for it. See, the thing is, is that after the interview was conducted, he was high on it. He publicly. promoted it publicly. He emailed us and thanked us for having him on. It was only after people reacted poorly to it that he was distraught about it again. So he thought he produced something positive, and I didn't think it was going to be as negative, frankly, as people had received it either. But I think, I don't know who, what, what or who Hassan Karaman is. I just know that, and actually, I'll, I'll just read this from Nick Kowalchuk, who wrote it and said, Slitter me timbers, gentlemen.
2: <laughs> oh God, can, we wow. get a de- Help us. can we
1: get a debrief from the Hassan Karaman interview? I'm no industry expert, but why did most of the things he said come off as not credible? I found it interesting that he could describe facts about the game, but stumbled through his own personal history. Why was everything under NDA? Why did it feel like every time Colin pressed him on something, there was a misunderstanding to clarify? It just came off as jumbled and unconvincing. I think that's that's basically where I am. I'm, it was jumbled and unconvincing, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you can make a game like that for thirty thousand dollars. I don't know how. You, I feel like Sony in some way. Well, actually, let me back up again. He was even contesting that Jason Schreier, who I have beef with Jason Schreier at Bloomberg, but he's a real journalist. He does. He doesn't fuck around with that. I mean, he was basically saying Jason just misquoted him and made shit up. I mean, I was basically the insinuation, right, Dustin? I mean, you were oh, there yeah. listening to it. And Definitely. so from the very get go, it's just like nothing is your responsibility. Jason misquoted You. I, I don't know. I, it's frustrating, but I want to respect his wishes to not like. Some people out there are just like, we're, we're over this. I, I do want to say that I don't. The argument, I'm like really stuttering here. The argument that we shouldn't be covering this is one that doesn't resonate with me from the audience. When people are like, why are you giving this, this guy airtime? Why are we paying attention to this too? Because it's fucking interesting. That's why. And if, if more interesting things come up, I'm going to do it again. Right. But I'm not going to just cover this game for no reason. We have nothing Mm -hmm. else to say. I said, and I promised the audience, if I ever got access to Hassan, I promised him himself. If I ever got access, I'm going to ask you questions that no one else is going to ask you. And I did. And what we do with those now is up to us. But I do ask everyone out there. And I don't need this. I actually said this to him because I I said in an email, I'm like, I kind of reject the insinuation that that our people are like being horrible to you. It's like I don't own the actions of other people. But it is worth saying, as it is once in a while, I guess you shouldn't be acting hostilely to anyone um, yeah. in any way on the internet and if you're threatening Hassan or doing anything like that that's unacceptable and wrong um, and I hope they fucking catch you if that's what you're doing by the way I know he's logging these things and all that so there's no reason to be disrespectful but we can be incensed and curious and confused and befuddled and and I'll continue to be that and I'm sorry that it's worked out like this for Hassan with his game but we just you know the buck stops with someone and it's not me in this case so yeah anything else to say dustin no i think we've covered it
4: and like you said when there's an update if there's an update i you know i'm assuming there will be at some point we will cover it again if it deems interesting enough for the show so
1: fair enough all right let's get into some other things here just an fyi mlb the show 22 is out on ps4 and ps5 So if you're looking forward to playing a baseball game this year, as you might be every year, that game is now available for you to play. It's also on Game Pass if you're over on Xbox. Gran Turismo 7 patch 1.11 is out. Joey Gondoliger wrote in and said, hey, boys, as of Thursday, April 7th, patch 1.11 for Gran Turismo 7 is here. Polyphony Digital promised better payouts and they completely delivered. It is now possible to earn more than $20 worth of credits in about an hour. This, to me at least, completely negates all the bad press about microtransactions in the game. I'd also like to commend Sony on fixing their mistakes extremely quickly. To have such big fixes only a month into this new live service game is a huge difference compared to other studios who leave their marquee studio-defining games to languish for months with little to no change. If Sony takes this proactive approach to all their upcoming live service games, I believe that Sony will be a very welcome player in the live service space. I'm truly excited for what the future holds for Sony's live service games if such a fast update is any indication of what's coming up. So... We are having Z28 Gaming back on the show. I, I can confirm that. Sacred Symbols Plus in the coming weeks to do a review discussion and spoiler cast in quotes about Gran Turismo 7. We'll get into all of this. None of us are playing it so in any meaningful way. So I did want to acknowledge this. So I also wanted to acknowledge, though, Joey, your letter is, is appreciated, but someone else wrote in with a whole new series of complaints. And I was originally going to use that letter, but I'm like, sometimes you guys just never stop. Joey, thank you for <laughs> writing. In. PS3 emulation. There are rumors percolating that Sony might be further along with PlayStation 3 emulation than it seems. And in fact, we can, I guess, kind of confirm that because Tom, as we mentioned earlier from Moore's Law is Dead on Sacred Symbols Plus, talked extensively about PlayStation 3 emulation. And guys, he explained something really interesting that I just wanted to pass along. I encourage everyone to go listen to the rest of the episode if they want. I had never thought about this before. He was basically saying that cell processor on PS3 is so complicated that The way developers dealt with it was through a series of workarounds, right? Mm -hmm. And these workarounds and these tricks that they made over the years are different for all of the games. So there might be a team that does something a certain way and you can replicate that. But there are other teams that just totally manipulated Cell in a different way. And so what needs to happen and what they're doing apparently is that you have to make a bunch of like boutique sort of micro virtual consoles or emulators. And this PS3 emulator will play Naughty Dog games and this PS3 emulator will play this game and this PS3 emulator will play only these games and that it has to kind of be done in an individual basis like that because of the sheer level of manipulation on PlayStation 3 to get anything to run on it. And I never thought about that, that I'm not smart technically or in any other way, but that makes some sense to me. So I wanted to share that. Do you, do, have you ever heard anything about that, Chris? That seems interesting to me.
3: I, I've definitely heard that developers... Uh, I mean, it's no secret that... I mean, even with more uniform technology, developers find all, find all sorts of ways to manipulate their way around limitations of existing hardware. It, it makes sense to me that uh, cell the cell processor, as peculiarly specific as it was, would have required very unique workarounds. It's... It's still just really—I don't know, man. It's—it's—it's it's, it's just kind of wild that <laughs> that they're going to need to have like unique emulators per title. That's just a very, very interesting. So I always assumed that that would be—I guess I, I haven't really thought that much about emulation, really, because I, I just don't really care about it. I, I try to—I try to be as uh, holistic in my consumption of classic media as possible. I still have all my original consoles and all that, but. I, I guess I never thought about the idea of there being multiple emulators so much as I thought of maybe the existence of a, of a simulated cell architecture, you know, almost, almost like a a simulated version of the PS3's architecture by which, you know, most other emulators would function kind of uh, equivalently. This is an interesting solution. It's going to take a lot of time, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, that's what he was saying was that. We wouldn't know the difference right on our end, like we get the the launch, the PS1 game launches, something happens in the beginning, and then it's like the PS1 startup and it's running the emulator. The same thing would happen with PS3 and we wouldn't know the difference, but they do. And so Tom was saying that there's some conjecture that even the Uncharted games coming to PS3 in that collection kind of or PS4 in that collection in 2016 was some sort of acknowledgement that they could not get those games to run like and 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 there was some urgency to at least get something off of the ps3 especially Mm -hmm. in anticipation of ps4 and he was saying something that i i'm not surprised about which is that they've been doing this for years like they have games running it's just that they don't have the sufficient workflow i guess to get this sort of sort of thing done and i just never thought about it dustin do you have anything to add i mean this is again i'm not a technical person but this makes a lot more sense in other words Sony was able to make a PlayStation 2 emulator and then drop ROMs into it and they work. This time they make an emulator kind of, then they drop the ROM into it, then they have to manipulate the emulator, package it all together, and that's how it's going to come, right? And so each one has to be manipulated in a certain way. So it's not, to Chris's point, it's not that they're fucking around with Cell in a specific way, it's that they were so outside of the SDK when they were making some of these games that they don't know, that they can't streamline a way to make them work. Does that make sense to you?
4: Yeah, and to to be fair, to my understanding, this is true. I don't want to say in every emulator. I don't know if that's one hundred percent true, but you could you saw this happen with a uh, Nintendo Switch Online with the with their Nintendo sixty four emulator specifically, the uh, Zelda ROM that they had yeah. initially at launch did not have fog effects working at all, and so they had to go in and and customize it to actually work, and eventually they they fixed it. So while this happens in other emulators, the amount, the, at least the understanding that I got from listening to the episode with, uh, with Tom is just that the amount of customizing is way, way more extensive, like you said, based on some of the workarounds that each individual studio would decide to do when working on the PlayStation 3. And so I think I, I said this last week is just that the thing that i think that a lot of people should understand is that the ps3 was not like the 360 the ps3 was ex- exotic hardware and so yeah xbox put the work in no doubt uh but they didn't have quite the uphill climb that sony did i think mm-hmm. that they'll make it work um t- in certain instances but i would never expect there to be a, a blanket backwards compatible solution for playstation 3
3: Uh, one thing i will say though is i understand that it's a lot of work to get this exotic hardware replicated at the same time it's been a very long time you know what i mean like i i don't imagine i don't imagine that fat princess was taking that many unique you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I, I don't imagine true. games like Fat Princess where was taking all these, like, oh, man, we can't get the Fat Princess to animate properly unless we tweak the cell in this way. I'm sure Fat Princess worked fine on base PlayStation 3 SDK. And I'm sure that, or, or base uh, PlayStation 3 stats or, or whatever the hell you want to call it. It's, it's games like, I guess, Uncharted or, like, the ones that push the envelope a little bit where they're trying to squeeze every bit of juice out of the out of the machine that I would imagine a lot of these workarounds are uh, more uh, related to, and to me that is still that's not that many titles. That's like a handful. You you have like your your Uncharted trilogy, you have your infamous duology, and then you have Resistance, and then you got a handful of others that I'm sure people would like to see. Maybe yeah, I don't Kill know, Zone maybe, two and three. Probably. Yeah, Kill Zone two and three. But there's it's a pretty manageable list of games, I would argue. Yeah, I think so too. That. So like to me it's just like it I understand that yeah, for sure Microsoft definitely had it easier because they they built their console in a in a less befuddling way. <laughs> but it's also been like a really long time. Yes. And they've had a long time to figure this out. Especially for the titles that presumably again would be the main beneficiaries of this specific tweaking of the cells. Uh, at least that's my layman view of it.
1: I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think it makes more. It it illustrates better why we haven't seen Infamous and other games come forward, but also makes it more conspicuous why the work hasn't gone into getting those games over. And you listen to it, Dustin. So you know that he said this. Tom said he's like this will be a problem that they will solve by PlayStation Six. I mean, that was what he literally said. Like <laughs> Jesus, Christ. there'll be like a universal. S- and because what we were saying, and we've said this on the show in the past, is that once you clear the hurdle to get something running on PS4, you're good forever, right? Like yeah. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You just need to get these games pulled forward. And there are some key games on there, like God of War 3, yeah, right? Like there are, there are games that are just on PlayStation 3 that you're never going to get again unless God they do War something.
4: God of War 3 right. got ported over,
1: though, didn't it? Oh, did it? Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. It did. It did. Yeah, oh, that's right. God of War 3 got like a standalone release, didn't it? It wasn't part right, of my collection. But not 1 on, and 2. On PS4? Right, that's yeah. right. It got a standalone release. I totally forgot about that. You're right. So yeah, Infamous 1, Infamous 2, Killzone 2, Killzone 3, Resistance 1, 2, 3, and a few others are all we need to get pulled over. Even The Last of Us got ported immediately to PS4, so that's really not a big deal, but I don't know, man. Uh, it, it's disappointing, but people can go listen to get a little more clarification. We're going to have much more technical acumen now on Sacred Symbols Plus with the help of Tom. And um, so join us on Patreon to listen to that patreon.com slash last day media. Sony is apparently talking pretty openly about acquiring more studios. IGN reports from the official PlayStation podcast, which is a Sony product. I frankly don't recommend you listen to it because they can't say anything bad about anything on it. But they say, or they had an interview with Jim Ryan, our, our friend Jim Ryan, good game, number one gamer, Jim Ryan. And he says uh, on the podcast, quote, we're in a really good place with PlayStation Studios right now. And we have been for the past few years, the critical success and the commercial success of the games that they've been making that has given us permission to invest heavily in content creation. We're growing our studios organically and we're growing through acquisition. We acquired five studios during the course of 2021. We're in discussions with Bungie and we have more planned. This is getting us into a cycle, a virtuous cycle. Where success begets success. End quote. I don't know what is what is with his this statement virtuous cycle. He, they, I think they wrote this on the PlayStation blog recently too. Yeah, I don't understand. I, I think they don't realize that that's a misnomer. Virtue has something to do with morality. It, there's no such. They're in a, mor, a moralistic cycle with their game. It makes no sense. You're in a virtuous cycle the fuck does that mean it's literally just marketing it's like a buzz it's just a buzzword (laughs) like Like, I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean anything virtuous uh definition yeah having or showing high moral standards the fuck are you talking about like you have to do I don't understand what the hell is going on over there nonetheless more studio uh more studios incoming Chris anything you have your eye on
3: I mean I I struggle to even imagine what's left that's kind of like for me I'm just thinking of like man that you have Embracer with everything that they own you have Sony now kind of with Bungie and all these all of their first party You have Microsoft acquiring everything under the sun outside of the big publishers like what is what is really left that is worth acquiring like I, I can't think of any that I would be like chomping at the bit to have
1: access to you know yeah, I don't know. I, I think there are a few that I can think of. I just don't know that any of them particularly make any sense. Right. We can agree that major Japanese publishers are off the table now, right? Like Capcom and all these are doing fine. Square Enix, they're, none of those are going to be interested, I don't think. And no, I don't think Square or might, Sony would be interested in them either. I also think that that would just be really bad PR. So then you have to step down a little bit. I keep coming up with the from software. From Software has a parent company, so do a lot of developers. It doesn't matter. Doesn't mean you can't buy them from the parent company, Katakawa in this case. Yeah. But I don't think they're interested either. They are getting courted left, right, and center, I'm sure. And I just saw, I don't know the guy's name, but I they apparently like sent this huge package to this famous fantasy author. Did you see this, Dustin? Yeah, the and, Wheel
4: of Time author.
1: Right. Right. And they are like trying to get him involved, and apparently they are gonna make a Soulsborn game together. The guy's apparently like all about it, and it's apparently already has a plan, so. I wouldn't worry about them. I think of companies like Arc System Works, who also have a lot of tethers, corporate tethers, but would certainly be available. But I don't know if they would make any sense. Remedy, we're going to talk about in a little while. I think Remedy has way too many tethers now to even be available. I don't even know why you would want them since you would have to see all of these games through before you even got anything out of them. So, yeah, I don't think they're on the table. IO Interactive, maybe you would think, but I don't. They're doing a James Bond game. I don't, you know, so I I agree with you I I don't know what what to think of it either Dustin anything come to mind for you I think
4: that you brought up Arc System Works and if we're talking from a strategy perspective I think that they would make a lot of sense with Sony's new focus on esports and buying Evo that they would maybe want to own a lot of the games that are present in that competition and we've talked about other ways where they want to monetize esports significantly so that would make a lot of sense to me but Overall, like, like you said, like Remedy, which we're going to talk about later, I, I don't know what's going on there, and I'm trying to, like, who else? You you already mentioned From, which yeah, I... Uh,
1: again, IO is the only other one that I really could even think of that would be, yeah. and then there's a bunch of, like, Moon Studios, there's, like, a bunch of teams, but none of them change the game, you know? I, yeah. I don't know, I
3: don't... Yeah, Moon's got kind of a bad stink on them right now, too, right. because of, uh, right. there's, like, a whole thing going on over there about, like, workplace like i saw that just yeah so the thing is it's hard for me to to be in a uh, to put my head in in the space of somebody who's trying to acquire because like it my personal bias says leave these people alone yes you know what i mean like it's hard for me to, to to go against that nature of just like let io do what they do let from do what they do like too many things are being like absorbed into the board right now and i don't know
4: that's something people say to me is like, well, Dustin, wouldn't you be so excited if Sony bought from software? I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> the The only benefit that I would see of Sony, I mean, I don't know if it's even a benefit. It's like, I don't want Xbox or PlayStation to buy them. If I had to pick one or the other, of course I would want Sony to buy them over over Microsoft, but I really don't want either one because... They're still just kind of independent enough where they're like, yeah, we're going to do a game with, with Activision and Sekiro, uh, and who knows what else they, they have going oh, yeah. on. Um, and,
3: and, and especially now after Elden Ring's like breakout, like insane success, like there's, yeah. there's no way they're going to be like, oh, you mean you want us to be on a, on a single platform? That would obviously might
4: benefit them since they can't seem to figure out um, any platform from a technical perspective. That's true, yeah, yeah. But uh, being on just PlayStation didn't help them, though, with Bloodborne, so
1: yeah. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, and with significant ex-dev help from Japan Studio. But yeah, I agree. I, I don't necessarily mind this thing that they seem to be doing now, which is just seeding a bunch of new companies and seeing what happens, and then they came in and bought Haven, which I thought was a little strange, as we discussed, but... To, to get money together and say like, oh, these guys made Call of Duty, give them $100 million. These guys came from Bioware, give them $100 million. These guys came from Ubisoft, give them $100 million and see what happens. That's more effective. And you have to assume if they make any big acquisitions, they might treat them like Bungie. You can imagine them buying from and then saying like, no, they're just going to do exactly what they do now. And that would be smart. Yeah. Arc system would be cool. I, I agree with you, Dustin. That would be interesting to get Guilty Gear and Blaze Blue for Sony. it's Exciting. Arc System owns Technos as well, which is like all the River City stuff, which I love. And it would be cool to unleash that as well with like AAA, like a AAA River City Ransom would be fucking cool. Although River City Girls 2 is coming this year, I think, and I'm excited about that. Hey, okay. what else here? Oh, we re- I guess I should have put this in the correction, but we talked about kind of briefly because it happened during the last week's episode when we were recording, but that it looked like... Konami published a Metal Gear Solid 35th anniversary website, but that website is fake. It's not from Konami. So sorry. But there is more exciting or I, I should say interesting news, guys. Though E3 is gone and Sony is silent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, THQ Nordic. According to Push Square, sent out their so-called save the date. August 12th, 2022. Uh, they're gonna have a gaming showcase. And, uh, it says here on the website, THQ Nordic, uh, the presentation teases Outcast 2, A New Beginning, and Jagged Alliance 3. Other games that could show up include Saints Row, Destroy All Humans 2, Reprobed, SpongeBob SquarePants, The Cosmic Shake, etc. It's interesting. I, I like this kind of thing of having just a showcase. Let's just show some games. Let's, let's have a little bomb drop and then go away and make the games and put them out again. Didn't expect THQ Nordic to be one of these companies that would do that. I'm happy. They have like 70 studios within that Embracer family. This is only THQ Nordic, though. Yeah. There's only going to be a sliver of that that family. So keep an eye out for that. I don't know if there's anything else to say about that. I don't know if you saw this, Dustin. Chrono Cross on PS4 apparently is horrible. Yeah. This is... I, I, don't, I don't understand <laughs> how you do something like this. It's a PS1 game. It, the, the, uh, the review on Push Square says the game fluctuates constantly between 10 and 45 frames a second and is never locked to 60 frames.
4: <laughs> this it is runs a PS1 game. One what
1: it's authentic to uh, the original, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's like putting Mega Man in the anniversary collection and keeping like all the flicker, right? Like you <sighs> can keep that if you want to have the realistic thing, but doesn't need that now because you can run it 120 frames a second or whatever. So. Chris, I saw you uh, take a <laughs> knee there. What did you, uh, what do you think?
3: Because this breaks my heart because it's like, this is like a dedicated port and it runs poorly. So like, I could just imagine the way that like this kind of, this semi-automated back compat is going to function. Like I, I, uh, I just, <laughs> because this is a dedicated individual game, you know, like this is like a, this is a, 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 like a genuine re-release. This is a, a, a like a port. Right. Of a, of a PS1 game. This isn't like, oh, it runs in... It it, it runs the original PS1 disc in your PS5. None of that. There's, there's nothing crazy like that. So this is a new product built, you know, not from the ground up, but surely spec'd for, mo- for relatively modern hardware. It's a PS1 game. There's no way it should have a hard time running on PS4. It's insane. Should, Chris- a <laughs> PS2 should be able to blast that thing out of the water. So, like... Just the the way that this dedicated port spells the future for the backwards compatible tier of the new PS Plus, that's, it worries me a little bit. Because if anything, a dedicated port would have more effort put into it than just like, you know, just, a, you know what I mean? Like, there's something about that that feels really worrying.
1: Yeah, with Chrono Cross? I mean, it's not, yeah. some, it's not some, anyway. It's not <laughs>
3: Emperor's <laughs> New Groove for, for PS1.
1: On,
4: on Push Square, this is from the reviewer is Robert Ramsey. I just want to read part of what he said here. That's right. Square Annex has somehow managed to destroy Chrono Cross's frame rate on modern hardware. The whole thing's supposed to run at a locked 60 frames per second. Why wouldn't it? But the frame rate fluctuates between what feels like 10 and 45 frames constantly. You can barely walk across the screen without the frame rate tanking to an embarrassing extent, and it gets even worse in battle.
1: I just don't understand why you even released something like this. And what's what's weird about it for OG PlayStation fans, you'll remember that Chrono Trigger, the SNES game, came to PS1 alongside... P- uh, so it came in a collection with Final Fantasy IV. I think it was called Final Fantasy Chronicles or Anthology. It was one of those. And the other one was Final Fantasy V and Final Fantasy VI. And Chrono Trigger ran like shit on PS1. You can go read about it. It just ran for some reason like garbage. The menu took seconds to load. It was crazy. And... There's just some spiritual successor with Chrono Cross and being this fucked up port again. And I read that they had already said, Skranix already said, like, we have no plans for more chrono games and stuff. And it's like, well, of course you don't. I mean, you have, why would anyone be interested in the series if, you, if this is the disrespect you're going to show it? They're just so inconsistent. It's so strange to me. This game couldn't have been that expensive to make or to port. And you would just want to do it right. Just be like, OK, it's not ready. Like, we'll, we'll just figure it out and then we'll release it when it's ready. Why is that so hard? For studios to do and, and publishers to do. Pub- really, publishers. Uh, very yeah. frustrating. Fucked. Chrono Cross. Stay away. Kataka reports. I thought this was interesting, especially for you, Chris. I didn't know if you found- saw this, but the uh, 2001 demo for previously unknown Gex Jr. leaks online. <laughs> Did you see this at all? It's playable on um, PS1. And... <laughs> it looks,
3: it's so cute.
1: Yeah, it does look cute. Very colorful. The music's really fun. People will remember Gex. Did either of you guys play Gex as kids? You're a little, oh, little yeah. young. Yeah? I so did.
3: I, I didn't. I, I did not play Gex, but like my Undercover English Ghetto. teacher was a dev on it. And I remember that being like, because he, t- he talked about it, because so, like, he knew that like some of the kids in the class were like interested in video games. He was like, oh, yeah, I, I did like development on, yeah, I think he was like an animator on the original Gex or something. That's awesome. And I just thought that was like super interesting. This dude was like so weird. Dude lived in like Hong Kong forever. He's a weird guy. But yeah, that's all that's my entire experience of Gex is just hearing that from my English teacher, being curious, and then looking up videos of it. It's it's a game I completely I completely missed on PS1.
1: It's uh the the original game came out in nineteen ninety five. It was actually a three DO game and then it came to PS one. And I remember oh, becoming fami- I remember coming to familiar with it um in 97 when i started seeing ads for enter the gecko which was the second gex game and that was that's the one i had on ps1 and yeah. then there was a the third one which i'd never even deep cover gecko which was a late ps1 game um yeah. i never even i never even saw that game but it's been deceased ever since what's interesting of course about gex is that it's a crystal dynamics game we're going to talk about crystal dynamics later so this just a little piece of interesting what could have been if you want to go check <laughs> that out i love that he has like a
3: backwards cap there's something so, like, really genuinely amusing about it.
1: Dustin, I wanted to throw this over to you. Yeah. Shueisha Games. What is... What is what, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I, I put this in our Discord yesterday because I thought maybe you had heard of it. Apparently, this is a pretty big Japanese manga publisher, and they are making a games vertical. So can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with this? Yeah, please? so
4: uh, Shueisha is the publisher behind Shonen Jump, which is probably what most people know here in the United States, which Shonen Jump is the specific vertical of manga, specifically manga that's targeted towards young adult males, we'll say. So like, I don't know, which not just males, because obviously there's tons of people that love stuff like uh, My Hero Academia, One Piece, Dragon Ball, stuff like that um also of course uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure was once a Shonen Jump uh, which eventually it moved to their more like uh, adult focused version but they uh yeah they've started their own uh game company which makes a lot of sense just because game uh anime games are huge and it's funny because they does the quality of them does not seem to really matter it's just that if these games have these characters attached to them in, in one way or another, they, they sell like crazy. Specifically thinking about uh, Jump Force recently, which has now been delisted, was like a huge, huge seller despite not being a very good game. And it makes sense, I feel like, for them to kind of cut out the middleman here. They've been licensing a lot of these IPs, specifically Bandai Namco is probably the, the biggest one and anime whether you two like it or not is just continually exploding uh outside of japan it's it's honestly shocking to me now because i just remember uh and i'm sure that you know someone like Dagan, of course who's been he's the, like an og anime fan remembers when no one even really knew about anime i remember in like 2000 I, so this would have been when i was in like first grade in 2000 2001 it was like there was a few kids that liked dragon ball z and this was like kind of this like weird and interesting show and now like man if you go to any like a mall that's still alive there's just so many stories you're gonna see anime everywhere like constantly anime whether it's manga whether dvds or blu-rays whatever merchandise it's it's everywhere so it makes so much sense for them to be like okay well clearly uh, the games are a big vertical. Let's go ahead and make our own developer. I think right now it said in this Kotaku article that they're uh, they have a project for smartphones, which makes a lot of sense for the Japanese audience. I think my biggest question though is just yet to be seen is how extensive are they gonna go? I mean, there's so many IPs, and there's some that are current, like One Piece. There's that big One Piece RPG that was announced. We've got the new the the re-release of the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure game coming out. So the sky's the limit and I hope they make good games because uh, there's there's so many cool anime IP that would make such good games. And we just keep getting um, just some real mediocre stuff.
1: Yeah. My favorite anime game when I was young when, during that Dagon era was the uh, the SNES Ranma half fighting game. Mm. I loved that game. Dagan came home with that one day. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. This is an awesome game. And I feel like uh, anime hasn't been shown a lot of respect in video games. We get a lot of anime games. We get a lot of anime style games. Some of them are good. But I feel like it's not quite up to snuff with where it should be. Jambi wrote into us on Patreon with a follow-up. It says, hey, CDC, just a quick question. What would be the definitive Weeb ranking of the LSM crew? I can picture a situation where Maddie and Dustin battle it out for LSM Weeb ambassador, but everyone else is a toss-up. Anyway, I hope you are doing well. Keep up the good work and gently caress that chicken. Thank you, Jambi, for writing. And Dustin, I, I'm curious where you stand on mm. this. Uh, what are the weeb What are the wee bonafides here within the LSM family?
4: I mean, ultimately, I don't know. If if me, Dagan, and Maddie could uh, fusion, combine like Dragon Ball Z, then we would be the ultimate weeb because Maddie has the JRPG aspect down way, way better than me. And he watches a lot of anime that I don't know about. But then... There's other instances where I mention certain like all time classic anime, like Evangelion, talk about Berserk with him and he has no idea what I'm talking about. So there's some major blind spots there. But Dagan, like I said, he is the the OG of of all of this. And so it's it's a tough question because there's the the weebdom goes beyond just, you know, there's manga, there's anime, there's JRPGs, there's
1: yeah. there's a lot of
4: angles to look at this.
1: Mm indeed yeah. all we know is that chris is not one of them
3: yeah I, I, if if there was a ranking i'm probably like last i i would imagine dragon ball z budokai was cool but i mean
1: <laughs> it's funny we actually we actually just did that knockback episode Dagan and i about our childhood bedrooms and the thumbnail for it is a picture of my bedroom circa 2000 and i have dragon ball posters on my wall
3: oh yeah dude that was that was a dragon ball was popping like in in 2000 2000 2000 to 2000 like three or four that was like in every young kid's bedroom i i, I think like even in that movie what was that movie boyhood i think when they do you hear about that movie where they filmed a the kid for like actually like a oh, decade right. and a half yeah, yeah, yeah and they followed him like throughout his and it, you could see like the bedroom from like 2000 it's like dragon ball and it's kind of crazy to see like that movie's impressive from that standpoint because it's it's an effective time capsule yeah that's good stuff everything else sucks but like it's
1: Someone had posted, did you see that there's like a a time capsule at Nickelodeon Studios that was sealed in like 1995 and it's going to be open in 2045 and it's like, oh my God, what's going to be in that that thing? It's going to be funny. That's going to be interesting. But this one is more for you, I think, Chris, which is Trek We've talked about this game a few times on the show. It's been questionable when it was going to come out. It's this kind of black and white samurai game. It comes from Flying Wild Hog, which is interesting. Those are the guys that are best known for Shadow Warrior. And this is a game that they've been working on. I think like one of their spinoff studios had been doing it. So the game has a release date on PS4 and PS5 of May 5th. Are you going to play this one, Chris?
3: Yeah, I think so. I'm into samurai stuff for whatever. And I think it's largely Ghost of Tsushima that got me into it. Because I think prior to that, I, I didn't really, I don't know, I didn't really care that much. I was like always into ninja stuff. Like a Shadow of the Ninja on NES, and and obviously Ninja Gaiden, and it's it's all cool. Like the Messenger and Cyber Shadow, most recently, those games always hit for me. But uh samurai stuff, it's just like I always felt like it was oh, it's just slow ninjas. <laughs> but yeah, they're not as Shima's, cool ninjas. Yeah, yeah, it's just like <laughs> I agree. this. Is, it's your grandpa's ninjas. But this looks cool. Like it, it kind of reminds me of Shadow Complex in the way that it. It, it, there's something about it in, in the in the 2.5D and like the side scrolly nature of it and just the way platforming seems to work and and the level like the layouts of certain levels i can imagine the my one hang up here is the black and white i i, I get that yeah. it's i get that it's evocative of you know some of those classic samurai movies uh and, and what, what was the mode that they had in ghost of tsushima oh
1: Kurosawa mode or whatever Kurosawa mode yeah. like that's cool
3: but it was also, in my opinion, like objectively the inferior way to play Ghost of Tsushima. Like Ghost of Tsushima is a beautiful game. And I feel like you're you're kind of robbing yourself of a lot of that experience if you play in Kurosawa mode. And this, I feel like this game would be a lot more generally appealing if it, it had an option like that. Because I, I'm looking at it in the animations, like the waterfalls in the background, you could see it's like, wow, that looks really gorgeous. I wish I could see it in color. But I get that that's the niche they're going for. I'm I'm curious to check it out. I'm I'm excited about it. I could just see that being a little grating after a while.
1: Definitely. I it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing to me. I didn't want to play Ghost of Tsushima in that mode. That's just not doing it for me. Not that I have any love for Japanese cinema or anything like that, but uh Dustin, are you going to check out Trek the Yomi? I've seen some trailers and it it looks
4: interesting but i i think this is one that depending on reviews if your reviews are real strong i'll I'll definitely check it out but if it's not so good i don't necessarily
1: feel compelled before we get into what we're playing james Kinzel the third wrote in i have to ask this question it is interesting he says hey sacred friends why are mermaids the only fantasy creatures that are seemingly romanticized you don't see other human animal hybrid fantasy creatures being romanticized who would who wouldn't want to fuck a centaur a satyr or a minotaur what makes a woman with the lower anatomy of a fish so sexy? Sincerely, a man writing a fantasy romance novel featuring a mermaid. Thank you, James, for writing in. What is it about? That is weird, isn't it? It's so funny because I, I, I was thinking about that recently. I'm like, it's a fish. You. Yeah, you can't. Well, what are you going to do if you get, <laughs> there, well, if you get sexual there, with the there's the mermaid? that there's
3: that famous <laughs> yeah that, that great It's like one of the one of the early seasons of Family Guy with where, where the merman saves Lois. And it's, it's a, it's a fish up top <laughs> with like the legs of a man oh, human. and it's That's just like, awesome. Oh, this is, it's like, this is like really, this is not as appealing as, oh, definitely as I thought not. it would be. And it's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I, I have, I wouldn't be able to do anything if I, <laughs> and it's like, it's a, it's a pretty good, that was like early seasons of Family Guy when it was still genuinely like clever and had some heart to
1: it. I love, I love Family Guy back in the day. Those first few oh, yeah. seasons before it got canceled, For- you know, great show. Definitely. Uh, okay. Dustin, anything that input any input about the uh, yeah, well, the sexy mermaid
4: to my understanding? It when, when we talk about mermaids and their origins, I don't think the sailors are you know, they're talking about the pirates or the sailors or whatever that saw the mermaids and were uh, you know, intrigued or you know, maybe wanted to engage in some sexual acts. I don't think they knew that they had fish bottom halves, like they would go and try to lure the men. From the water and from the top up. And so, you know, men, they see what's going on in the upstairs and they're like, oh, yeah. And then they would get eaten or whatever.
1: I don't know. I see. That makes sense. Is that mermaids
3: or is that sirens?
4: Are they
1: both the same
3: thing? Because I I I know know. sirens
1: lured. I don't remember.
3: I don't know if in the lore of mermaids they lure men. Here's I I could be uneducated. In folklore,
1: a mermaid. No, go on. The,
4: the thing, though, I think that's ultimately we need to point out is that James clearly has a kink that he's trying to justify. <laughs> he feels the need to justify. That's okay. Like what you like. We don't, you don't need to be like, well, why, why doesn't everyone else want to fuck a centaur? I'm good. I'm personally fine. I don't need to fuck a centaur. But think- if you want to and the centaur is uh, cool with that and everyone is uh, in agreement, go for it.
1: I don't think I knew the little mermaid was a Hans Christian Andersen story. It's real dark. Oh the, yeah, it's really actually actual messed up. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I knew. A lot it. of those I, stories
4: are like
3: Pinocchio known. gets like lynched or whatever at the end of
0: It's, it's those original <laughs> Disney movies are
3: based on some of the saddest most dire <laughs> things you've ever read in your life. And you just think you think of the the guy who who pitched it to Disney like, "Hey, you know what would make a good story?" This little wooden boy who gets who has his soul trapped in this facade of false humanity and then killed, and then the
1: guy's like, "All right, well, maybe we should (laughs) clean that up a little bit because it's you know Disney or or a uh, how about a child watching its mom bleed out from the head after it's shot?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah! Classic Bambi.
1: (laughs) Thank you for writing in. All right. Let's get into what we're playing. Dustin, I'll start with you again. Since we're all playing Ghostwire, we can talk about it further, but you're also playing something else. So let's start with uh, what you are playing on the side. So I want to be clear
4: about this in that I did not purchase this game, but there is an extensive demo that is the beginning of the game that you can then Mm -hmm. uh, extend into the full game. And that is Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origins. I played this for about an hour and a half yesterday on stream. Guys, this game... (laughs) Shocking. The beginning. Chris, you in particular, did you play the beginning of this game? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I played through the whole demo. So you played more than me. (laughs) I implore everyone in the audience, whether you have interest or not, to just experience the beginning of this game because I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. What is happening? The game starts where it shows them they're like invading the castle, the chaos guys like trying to kill them, whatever. Cutscene ends. Then it goes to the Frank Sinatra clip that we saw from the trailer of Jack yeah. walking through the field. Then you get this part where, where Jack, they, they show you the tutorial, which is not very, not very good tutorial. It's a terrible tutorial. Then it fades to black again. And then we're in another location <laughs> where they, they do like little text parts where they explain all this shit that in such a vague way and then suddenly it's just like and you're here with your crew and you're gonna go out and try and kill chaos and then it's just go it's just go from there which here's the thing maybe the game goes back and explains some of this stuff uh maybe it doesn't i'm assuming not but i am so intrigued by this game at this point uh, the combat is fine. Like it's it's serviceable and has a lot of really interesting ideas that it can add to the Souls formula esque, whatever you want to say. The third, the current state of the third person action game. Yeah, there's stuff like if you pull a successful block, you can like steal an enemy's ability temporarily, and that's that's kind of neat. They're really generous in its job systems. You can change what job you are. Basically, at any time, to my understanding, there's like a shit ton of them, and they really pile them on you all at once. So it's it's serviceable as far as from a gameplay perspective. Also, the game looks like shit. This yeah, game looks yeah. like this game looks like uh, a bad PS4 game. Even honestly, I mean, I saw many a PS4 games at least from a resolution standpoint. This game looks like it's running at 720p, uh, which on performance, it's,
3: it's Shocking. It it feels like a PS3 game that was upscaled to the PS4 very poorly. Because there, cause there are scenes yeah. where you're talking to people. You're talking to, like, uh, you have a cutscene where you talk to the king or whatever, and it zooms in on a close-up to the king. And the king looks, like, relatively fine. It's not, like, it's not so bad that it's noticeable, but it's, like, not all that impressive either. But then you'll see the background. It's, like, shimmering and, like, pixelated, and they haven't quite figured out how to do the depth of field that everyone else has figured out. <laughs> so, like, it just looks horrific i love that tutorial that, like when, when uh jack or whatever whatever the fuck this guy's name is he's like walking That's in the it, field yeah. to, and he's listening to my way he's like regrets i've had a few and then and then a little text pop-up comes up that says defeat goblin <laughs> right yeah and it's it's the <laughs> it's one of the funniest images i've ever seen and then it, it, you know, like you said it just cuts to them meeting for the first time they hold up the rocks to each other and like you're my friends now i guess and and it just it's so it is a very befuddling experience yeah
4: that's like colin i i don't know if it's a game you would like but i would really encourage you from a pure entertainment standpoint play play 30 just see how this game starts because it's just how (laughs) like what what happened like i don't know there's debates about how uh not debates but (laughs) i don't know how funny how much Nomura was involved in this? I, I've been, you know, joking saying that has that Nomura stink on it. No but Team doubt, Ninja made it right. Yeah, he, I'm. I'm trying to. I, I should look up and see exactly what Nomura's direct involvement. I mean, it's got some of that Nomura feeling dialogue. No I, doubt, it's like Kingdom I Hearts think, on crack.
3: I, I think Nomura did everything. <laughs> like this, he single-handedly made this, this game. This, this game feels <laughs> like something that he did everything. Like everything is him. I don't care if that's true or not because it feels true. It feels like it points.
4: They like the, the developers are in on the joke. Like there's a part when, when Jack, and this is very, very early on, Jack is going to fight chaos. And it does like a, a, a Wes Anderson crash zoom onto his face. And he goes chaos like that. It's like, <laughs> are you serious? You purposely did that. It's a, uh, it's 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 crazy i don't know really what i'm going to play more of it just because i'm i at least want to finish all of the demo which is apparently like four hours long or something like that but
3: yeah it's a long just insane
4: i was i thought of you chris because the the word that i had to describe at the end of my stream is i was baffled by it yeah by the is a baffling
3: experience it's but it's like playing through kung pao almost (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where you're like is this intentionally like this like it because it because it, so much of it defies what you would if you were trying to make a cool game you wouldn't do any of this like you you're fighting you, there's this point in the demo where you go into this cave and there's like a pirate ship and there's this pirate character and he just looks like owen wilson and it's really <laughs> it's just a very He's like a mix between Owen Wilson and uh, Mr. Krabs from Detroit, that wow. character. Hey guys, like that. Yeah, and, and you're just and it's just like what and his name's Bikey and you're just like what is this? I have this to finish so- this
4: demo. I have to go further. You should. No you should. So anyway, I, I recommend everybody. You got to see the beginning of this game, no doubt. Whether you're interested or not, you will be entertained. As far as another game, okay, Ghostwire Tokyo. This is the game where we're all playing. I I don't want to say too much because I feel like a lot of the main thoughts I have I want to save for the upcoming spoiler cast. I did finish it, and I didn't just mainline it, though I was kind of starting to consider it at the end. We talked about some of these details last week, and I feel like I want to emphasize to people that are maybe interested in checking this game out. This game is a collect-a-thon through and through, that is one of the primary aspects of this game. Luckily, you can kind of take it or leave it. You can choose to engage at the level that you want to. A lot of it is, I think we mentioned about going and you collect the spirits of the people that have been turned into ghosts as you go. And so, I felt like I was collecting spirits consistently. Anytime I was going somewhere, I'd pick up everyone that I saw. I probably did a third of the side quests, picked up as many spirits as I could. I even went on a few... 30 minute long excursions where I'm like, I'm just going to go explore and find spirits. I found maybe 20 to 25% of them during this time. And as I got close to the end of the game, I thought I like this game. It's got a lot of cool ideas. The combat is interesting, but it has some issues. I do not like it enough to go all out. And so for that reason, I'm just going to finish it. And it's one of those games which, Colin, I'm really curious to hear. Uh, since you're playing a lot more extensively, this game, I could tell. I, th- I thought, if I try to platinum or even think about it, I'm going to end up hating this game. I've had, like, I've, I am satiated. I feel good about the amount I've played. And now I am ready to move on. But Colin,
1: you're, you're playing much more extensively, right? Yes. Um, I am 25 hours in. I'm on chapter four. I have 78% of the, souls right now or the whatever and yeah i really like it it is a -a collectathon it is a open world that's why i said it It reminds me of like crackdown and stuff it's just because there is so many there are so many things to find it's not like you're just finding this that and the other thing it's not like a treasure in an uncharted game or something where there are two a chapter there's fucking shit everywhere you pulse with the square button and you can ultimately pulse up to 50 meters all around you when you upgrade and you just see the blue outline of everything around you that you can grab that you can interact with that you, most of these things are just destructible items that you get ammo from but i really like Ghostwire tokyo i feel like i needed a game like this because and i'll, I'll say most of my thoughts for the spoiler cast too maddie's going to be on it i think you know, i think we're gonna have actually quite a few people on it yeah and so i will say that i needed a game like a collected thought i like it, it reminds me of like in 2018 when i was just really into playing spyro for a few weeks and just was really enjoying playing it and Ghostwire similar. I don't really know what's going on in the game to be perfectly honest. I have to kind of go back and read a little bit more, there's definitely stuff I've I've missed. And I like the combat I think more than you like. I think the combat's really clever and interesting, although I'm not using certain aspects of the combat at all and the game very rarely puts you in danger. I think I've died 3 times. Uh, in 25 hours, which is great. I I'm not looking for a game to beat the shit out of me, but it's exactly that that I think I like about this. I was so engaged in Horizon for 70 hours with my headphones on and all that. I was engaged with Elden Ring for the 20 hours I played it. I needed something where I was like, I'm going to pop in. I'm going to listen to it on the TV. I'm going to pop in one of my AirPods and listen to a podcast while I'm playing this game and then I'll stop it if something happens where I need to listen more carefully. And so I'm enjoying just playing it like that and I'm going to get the Platinum. I've come this far. And... Uh, I don't know. It, 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 like I said, it reminds me of Freedom Wars, the Vita game, and just there's something about seeing a massive number, not a small number, but a massive number. And in this game, it's 240,300, I think. <laughs> and watching that number just whittle down slowly, 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 very similar to the, the prison sentence in Freedom Wars, which is a million years or something, like I said, insane. And, there's, and it seems like an, an unfathomable, like, what are you going to do? And it reminds me of the old Dead Rising achievements and trophies to kill like 55,000 you know zombies and it's like how are you going to do that but if you just play the game not organically like I'm playing it much more thoroughly than even organically but if you just take the time to gather things and collect things around you and pay attention you can pray at authors that show you things on your map I do that constantly yeah The, the one thing that's annoying are the relics there are a shit ton of what are called relics and you sell them to these cat creatures it's very cute by the way Shout out to the cats and the dogs in the game. Just absolutely love the cats and the dogs. So good, dude. The dog models are amazing. Uh, Actually, some of the most impressive dog models I've ever seen. Not when you're just seeing them, but when you're petting them and interacting the way they react to you. If you know dogs, you'll be like, wow, this is quite quite on par. And I got to give a shout out to the game. It reminds me a little bit of the Avalanche game from 2015 Mad Max, which fans of mine from back then will know that I was like a big advocate of that game. And it annoyed the shit out of people. And the reason that I liked it was because I felt like it was empty for a reason. Everyone was like, there's nothing to do. The game's empty. I'm like, it's fucking Mad Max. What? I mean, it's supposed to be desolate. (laughs) It's supposed to be destroyed. They have no water. They have nothing. And it felt like it worked. And in in Tokyo, in Ghostwire Tokyo, the city's empty. There's no, no one except for ghosts and enemies. And part of you wants to see Shibuya alive and bustling. It's a crazy place. I've been there, right? But part of it the charm of the game is how empty and and sad it is and Ghostwire is an I think underrated and underappreciated I don't think the game is going to end up having sold very well or done very well critically but I think that there's something interesting here I think this game is much more interesting to me than Deathloop Uh, I and I know they're really not comparable apart from their publisher but they're comparable in that they're both these kind of Bethesda PS5 timed exclusives I think this is the more interesting one and yeah I'm surprised by that. I really didn't know what I was gonna get going into it. It's really good. I like it a lot. Chris, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean I I feel
3: largely similar to you where it's it, it, it took me by surprise. I wasn't I d didn't look at many trailers leading up to it. We saw the first trailer obviously like years ago when it was first announced, and you know, I I was vaguely interested, but then as as it I don't know, especially after Deathloop, I was like, you know what, I'll I'll play it when it comes out and Maybe I'll like it, you know, and and because I just didn't care about Deathloop. And I was actually looking forward to Deathloop quite a bit because I just thought the presentation and the style of it was really cool. And it just sort of was not what I wanted, especially as somebody who's genuinely vibed with Arcane for quite some time. I I really enjoyed Dishonored. And while I didn't jive with Prey as much the first time, I still enjoyed it. So this was a surprise to me, especially having very, very little experience with Tango. Like, I did not play Evil Within and evil within two like those skated right by me so this is really my first foray into this studio for all intents and purposes really and it's it's enjoyable it's fun like i said it's it's like i said last week it's not this is an fps only only by a really strict definition it's not it's not fast and frenetic it's not doom it's not it's not a, a sandbox physics heavy playground where you're going to be pulling off shit that you're going to want to share clips of it on Twitter. You know, you're not going to see like some crazy physics thing that couldn't could only happen to you, and it's not like that kind of experience. It's more led and it's more linear in it in its exploration in that way, where not a lot of crazy is going to happen, but the crazy things that do happen are designed, and they're really fun to engage with. Like I said last time, just the the. Particularly the animations, I, I'm really impressed by. I mean, you brought up the cats and dogs, which I also think are like really solid. But just the way it feels to to do magic just feels really satisfying. I'm I I don't know how many hours in, but I I am, but I know I'm definitely over ten hours, and I know I'm definitely I'm in chapter four, probably towards the end, and it has not gotten old. It is it is still consistently really satisfying to use this. This magic, especially when you learn what each of them do, you, you learn that the fire kind of has this splash damage effect that knocks people down. Your your uh, wind is your base damage type, and, and water kind of takes out uh, enemy umbrella shields. And when you learn that kind of rock, paper, scissors type combat, it is there is a groove there that's really satisfying, even if it's not particularly challenging.
4: Were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to add, it's funny, because you said that... Uh... It's not like Doom. No. But what's ironic about it is that there is a element of it that feels like Doom to me where it's like you want to weaken enemies just enough and then you can use the, the ghost wire in order to get like, yeah, you know, yeah in order to take him out. And it's really fun. One of the most satisfying things that I found about the combat was it's like you want to try to weaken as many enemies as you can to just enough where you can take their core out and then you can do you can like combo like three or four at a time and so it has it's not like doom but it reminded me of doom in a few instances like that and also like the rock paper scissors elements that you're talking about right now it's interesting that it kind of borrows some of those game philosophies or mechanics but not directly right yeah yeah
3: yeah because they're definitely it is definitely evocative of the glory kill you know just the satisfying way that you can like finish off an enemy especially from a distance when you see the tethers like it's really satisfying even though it's not like unique to you you know there's a lot of sandbox games that kind of is the gta is one of these where like the craziest things that are going to happen in that game are typically things that you're probably not going to experience yourself, or, or 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 things that you've seen online of like that dude flying the plane into the into the building that he falls out and then he stands up immediately and then he goes David, that classic. Like it's just like that's chaos, but you're never going to experience that. It's just possible in the sandbox. This isn't one of those games. It's very it's very much what you see is what you get. But what you what you get is very polished and very enjoyable and very fun. I really like the story so far because it's so. It's got that that it's got that shonen jump kind of camp to it, where like you know like a character will look down at his hand and it'll be like Shh, you know like it's just like it's got anime tropes that normally I would be annoyed by, but be, I think again just the style of it being contemporarily shown and, and and not in that style does a lot for me. I like these characters a lot; they're growing on me quite a bit, and it's just it's really solid I, I'm further in than I was last time and I'm not tired of it which is more than I can say for a lot of games that I've touched in the last year or so uh maybe not so much in the last two months because the last two months have been pretty solid yeah but I agree. but it's it's really solid I, I think I would recommend this to a lot of people at the very least I would recommend that if you're vaguely interested in this watch like the first hour of gameplay because I do think I do think it gets you going into the swing of things pretty quickly and if what you see is interesting, you've got that waiting for you, you know, in a in a in a broader context. One thing I will say though, I brought it up last time; they did it again to me, where they took my powers away, and I had to use oh, the bow. A- and it's it's just the the worst parts of the game, like objectively, I think, like because I it's absolutely just, agree because all it's of so the annoying. all of the all of the beautiful animation work that goes into the spells, all of the satisfying knockback that you get from the dual sense when you use that magic all of the all of the style just goes away entirely and you're just left with this really dull bow that doesn't feel impactful when you use it that doesn't feel like it 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 should even belong in it 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 feels like they needed a bow because they thought hands weren't enough (laughs) or something so they were just like hey let's take the powers away from you for a little bit several times and it's like (sighs)
1: Yeah, it seems like it's, they're trying it's to getting, slow the game down a little bit or something.
3: Yeah, but it's like, it, it doesn't need it. it. And it starts to feel a little tropey. And without that magic, the combat falls apart because it's the crutch of the combat. So it just becomes immediately unfun when that happens. Luckily, those spots are really short. It's a, re- it's a really well-paced
1: game. I'm going to say that. It's like extraordinarily well-paced. I agree. Yeah, it is. Cause you up, you up, you unlock like these different Tory gates, and then it unlocks new parts of the city, and then it gives you all these new things to do, and so on and so yeah. forth. Yeah, kind of, you kind of eat it like that.
3: Which is yeah, great. and the different areas of Shibuya are like they they get different enough that they start to feel like you're actually like progressing through a large quantity of space, even though it's like actually not. Like when you get to the foresty area, the the big park, like that felt like really really fun and rewarding. And those moments where you don't have your magic don't last too long. So if you get to that point and you're, like, you're not feeling it, push through. You've got like maybe five to ten minutes max of that before you, you're back into the swing of things. But those are the, that's the weakest point of the game for me, in my, in, you know, in my opinion.
1: I don't want to let you guys off the hook from something we should have talked about last week but didn't. People wrote in about oh, this. I right. even wrote down a note for myself. Nixter wrote in, though, said, Last episode, Colin brought up the stream... Uh, up the stream that his sons both did while trying out the new co-op mode for Returnal. However, their thoughts on the game were never brought up in the What We Were Playing section. So, Dustin and Chris, how did you like the new co-op mode in Returnal? Will you be going back to it down the road? I, I did. We forgot to bring up this Returnal co-op discussion. Boys, what did you think? You played with each other. Dustin, I guess we'll start with you. Uh, how you did definitely
4: you guys played like? with each other. No yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ew. Oh, Ew! Uh, so, uh, I don't know. Chris, do you want to go? Do you? Want, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll, I think I'll, our thoughts I'll... are pretty similar.
3: Yeah, so I... I came. I came back to it. Uh, we obviously played. We 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 played. I think for about three hours. We were getting our ass handed to us because we were not practiced. It's we also been wouldn't a,
4: shut the fuck up. We were just having a good time hanging out.
3: Good, yeah, yeah. Well. We, we were just we were just talking and chatting. Uh, but the thing I will say, it's like it's it is still fun. It is satisfying. I remember why I liked it when I first played it. On my end, I don't know how things were on your end, but on on my end, you were flashing all over the place, <laughs> oh <laughs> like like from a connection <laughs> state like you were you were not consistently it didn't feel like the most consistent co-op that I've ever played you you felt like you were like jutting around fortunately, it didn't affect me, which was like my big which is always like a way more preferable means of co-op like if my if my co-op partner's jittering around, but I'm moving around fine and I'm not getting hit with random lag spikes, totally okay, but I did notice that. I enjoyed it. I had I had fun. But for whatever reason, it it didn't click with me as much. And maybe that's because we were distracted just talking to each other, like just like me like just having random conversations. So we weren't really like as focused on the game as we should have been. But I, I thought it was fine. It's it's more returnal, you know, and it's it's a new way for you to experience it. I do wonder if it kind of makes it harder though, because we were fighting some bosses that i remember taking a lot f- fewer hits right and uh, i I don't know like do you feel similarly well
4: i i think the main thing that stood out to me is that this co-op while it does make some things easier it doesn't fix the core issues that i had with returnal which is that the, the the level of rng it's like man i've gotten like eight lobbers in a row which i understand don't leave a comment about how the lobber is
1: actually good i don't care uh it, it's not good when i use it the lobber is my favorite weapon but i won't oh. i won't beat you down oh. with it yeah. um, when i, I figured I, out I, how to use the lobber the game became exponentially easier for me personally i've tried i really yeah, i, I have. get I'm it tr- i'm not i'm yeah. not judging you i get it
4: yeah so it's still very rng heavy and the other thing that chris and i and maybe we're just dumb. I don't know. But we were consistently like, okay, this item we can both pick up. It's like instanced in both of our games. but other items like health, you need to strategize. And so that was one thing that came up a few times. I was like, wait, I can pick this up as well, or do we need to try to and it's frustrating too, when it's when you have weapons and like a really a, a weapon that you both want. And it's like, okay, well, And maybe that's fun in some aspects that you really do have to be cooperative and plan out gear and health and stuff like that. But overall, it felt like specifically, I think, Chris, what you're talking about with the boss was it seemed like the way that they retuned it was they just thought, well, there's now two people shooting at the boss, so let's double the health, which I don't know. Again, maybe it was a thing where we weren't playing so well and so our weapons weren't upgraded but man the bosses felt way more spongy in our playthrough no doubt yeah
1: the claim is is that that doesn't happen though right the claim is is that they're they they, 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 it was supposed to literally make it easier by keeping the game the same right that's what they said
3: i mean it it might be true all all i can say it's been a while since i've played returnal anyway so like it could it could be like a fault in our memory but it, it It's worth noting that when we both played it, we both felt like it was way spongier. Certainly, that's not true. It felt that way, and I'll also just echo the fact that yeah, the the whole the method by which the game displays what is and is not exclusively yours is very. I mean, you can tell that co op was not necessarily the intended focus of the design because it's it's not particularly communicated well the things that you share and the things that are that can be stolen because there were points where we were both like really low on health and we were just like okay so you've got to you got to pick that up we got to go we got to go kill some things and then maybe we can both buy a, a health thing at that store front area <laughs> it's just like or giving me
1: an just hearing about it because it brings me back to that
3: that yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: playing returnal
3: yeah and it's it's oh just like God. okay it's like you the health pickups in the, in the world, those are instanced, or not instanced, so those are shared. So, like, if you pick up the health, then I can't get it, so I've got to, like, kill some enemies and then save up those little oblites or whatever the hell, and then go to that store area and buy a thing. But then I think we both have different stores, because I think you had a Moon Man, and then I didn't. So, like, there's an RNG in the, in the, in the store also. So, right. like, or at least from what I remember, it's been, again, it's been, like, two weeks two or three weeks since we've played this but yeah it was interesting it was i I, I don't know i don't know how i feel about it really we only put three hours into it and it was kind of a janky co-op session from my perspective so maybe it it, uh maybe i'll jump onto it again but I, i don't know there's so much to play right now right that like my my goal with returnal was just to kind of jump into it and see how this fared i still haven't done the tower mode though which i which i am curious about and i have it installed so i might as well give that a shot at some point soon. Probably when I finish Ghostwire, just to say a little palate cleanser, but yeah. Do you have anything you
4: want to add, Dustin? No, uh, the, I'm also intrigued by the, the, uh, the, the arcade mode. I, I tried it one time just to try to get the rust off before we started streaming, but it seems cool.
1: Right on. A couple more things I want to read about another game that we haven't played yet, but will, or at least I will. RK128 wrote in and said, hey, Sacred Crew, I'm sure this will be on the show. But did any of you try the latest Lego Star Wars? Colin has stated in prior episodes he was interested. And after seeing it in action, I don't blame him. It legitimately looks like a major step up from Lego games prior with its combat systems, open world and more. Looking forward to your thoughts on the game and keep at it with the great content. Thank you, RK. Yeah, I, the game is getting amazing reviews. And it uh, seems like it's maybe the best Lego game ever, according to some people. Not a huge surprise, of course. I haven't played it yet. I bought it, downloaded it, actually pre-ordered it a couple days before it was available. So it it downloaded automatically, which was nice on my PS5. And now the only thing I have to think about, I'll I'll be done with Ghostwire probably in the next two days, I would assume. And so Derek Hoffman wrote in with the only other thing I have to think about here, which is, hey, CDC, I was watching a streamer start the Skywalker saga and they asked chat which episode they should start with. So what episodes did you guys start with? I personally am going to play them in the order I initially saw them in. 632145789. 632145789. I know you can't actually do this. I just like sharing the strange fact about me. Thanks, boys, and keep being awesome. That is uh some order. That would be return of the Jedi into uh revenge, into attack, into phantom menace, and then into the original. I don't know what you were doing there. There's only two answers to this, I think. There's only two possible real answers, and, and it's so funny you brought this up, Derek, because I was discussing this with Dagan, which was you either play them in order one two three and on, or you go four five six one two three seven eight nine, the order that they were released. But I don't know what I'm gonna do. Dustin, are you gonna play this game? And if so, do you have an an interest in starting them at a specific position?
4: I want to play this game, but I have never, I've I've tried many a Lego game, but never had them hook me. Uh, I don't know what it is exactly. I I saw some gameplay of this, and I gotta say. Some of the the jokes or whatever the way that they add like the Lego charm to this game very very cute. And in fact, yeah. like I I was expecting to kind of like roll my eyes when I was watching some of the gameplay, but then it legitimately made me laugh some of the stuff. So, I really do <laughs> want to check this out. I I personally if if I'm was to pick up this game, I would start at 1 and then end, you know, go 1 through 9 just like that. But apparently I was looking cuz I thought i heard this somewhere you can start any trilogy right 147
1: you i think is technically yeah but
4: you have to unlock the the following episodes after yeah I,
1: I think i'll do it in order in continuity order just i don't know man i've been in the star wars mood i think maybe in anticipation of this this game and i don't know chris if you have anything to add but i've just been in the star wars mood and i've been watching a lot of red letter media who i absolutely i love those guys oh, i me mean those too. guys are just absolutely geniuses they're so funny they're so good absolutely amazing make me laugh and watching their thoughtful star wars commentary even if i didn't don't really agree with some of it like they didn't really like solo for instance i think solo is an awesome movie it's still cool to like hear people passionate and kind of see yourself reflected on the screen as far as like the 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 disenchanted sad man you know yeah (laughs) and this game seems to really and and when i'm reading about it i've avoided all content as far as like reading reviews and seeing footage but what I'm understanding is is that it's just chock full of love and I need that and I'm excited to see even the even the the movies I didn't like like I don't like eight and nine I don't really particularly like the prequels although I think the prequels look much better in light of what Disney has done to Star Wars there's going to be something in each of those especially four five and six that I'm going to just fall in love with and all the little odes and characters and it brings me back and it's funny because When I moved into this house a couple of years ago, my dad dropped off everything I ever owned that was at his house and put it in my garage because he he couldn't wait to just get rid of my shit. I don't blame him. It's just been sitting there. And I was just in the garage yesterday going through my Star Wars toys. I went to Lowe's and got like a bunch of bins and I've just been going through my Star Wars toys and putting them away properly where they'll probably be forever until I die. And then someone just takes them out of my house and throws them in a dumpster in the year 2080. (laughs) But in the meantime, I've just been in that Star Wars space. So, Chris, are you going to check this game out? Uh, Are you interested?
3: I don't know I, I, this game feels like I, I i didn't have a lot of history with lego games growing up uh i did not have a ton of history with star wars growing up so feels poser If it, it feels like mm. a like a poser thing i respect jump you. in and be like oh man yeah although it is technically like all of it would be the whole series so i guess it would be so bad but I, I, if i were to play this game i'd probably like i i would, I would buy it now and then probably wait for like a really quiet period where there's not much to play and then maybe play through it that way. Because I don't know. I did see some of the, some clips going around on Twitter (laughs) that were like uh, some of the charm of it. Like there was a, I think it was Mace window going like a Sith Lord. And like, there's something like really, it is charming. Uh, And maybe that's something that I didn't really see when I was like a, a little kid who was just kind of, I just saw it as, ah, a baby game. I want to I play it shooters, because that's badass. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like my experience with both of these franchises is so limited. I mean, Lego, outside of literal Legos, I have, like, no video game Lego experience. That's so a,
1: I appreciate that answer. That's yeah. a Colin answer. Yeah. Which is, like, yeah. I, I don't so, want to be a poser even to myself. Yeah,
3: maybe I'll play it. Because I do like Star Wars in some, in some vague way. Uh, maybe I'd even like it more in Lego, honestly. But maybe I'll I'll wait till I have some free time. There's something very appealing about Legos, so Colin. I, yeah.
4: Have you 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 mentioned Red Letter Media? I have to bring this up. Have you seen the Nerd Crew, the series that they've done called the Nerd Crew? No. I will I will send you a link because you're gonna you're gonna love it. And the audience, you should definitely check out their their Nerd Crew series because okay. if you watch, if you choose our content over other people's. I think you will uh, enjoy it.
3: <laughs> cool. I'll leave it at that. Red, they're great. They're, they've they've been on this ramy kick lately because they just did Darkman. I was I was so happy to see that because I was like I loved Darkman as a kid.
4: Dude, my dream is that we would collaborate with them someday. But I, they're you know, they're we, funny because they're bit. I mean, millions of hits yeah, on huge. YouTube, but the Patreon numbers. We're I mean, on they're, patreon. Not, they're not focused on patreon
1: but no not at all i mean they do that all passively. Yeah. i don't think i've ever even heard them mention it in any of the content that i've, yeah. I've watched so just i didn't doing even know that they had a patreon
3: that. until just now
1: and they're like right below us they they're awesome they're funny they're honest and i like it yeah i like them a lot i'm i'm jealous of them in a little bit like they're you know when you when you find a, a every so often you find a creator i see a lot of creators out there i'm like eh, whatever and then you find a creator you're like damn you're so good you're so good at this and I've really been inspired. Dagan and I, have. first of all, Dagan's a massive red letter media fan going way back and not a huge surprise. And we've been talking about like, how can we make knockback? How can we do a knockback product product? That's more like, you know, half in the bag or something. And that'd be so funny, you know, to to try to do something like that. And I was thinking to him, I'm talking like sitting down and playing a game together, but not a let's play, but more of like an analysis of it. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Got to do something with knockback. It's fun. Okay, let's get into the news, boys. Some big pieces, big items here to get into, but we'll start at the top, number one. Publisher Square Enix and its fully-owned studio Crystal Dynamics have officially confirmed the existence of a new Tomb Raider game. Information is scarce, but there are a few key details worth relaying for this early-in-development title. Perhaps the biggest tidbit is that the game will run on Epic's Unreal Engine 5, a big change for Tomb Raider, which was previously built on Crystal Dynamics' proprietary engine foundation. Foundation has been used on all Crystal Dynamics games going back to the 2003 Tomb Raider reboot on PS3 and later PS4, and was most recently used for the studio's ill-received Marvel Avengers game. Many studios are making the decision to abandon proprietary engines recently, including Sony itself, which is clearly deprioritizing the use of its own tech at its various teams' discretion. The game hasn't been confirmed for any platforms, though it's believed to be a current-gen-only title, and it's unclear which continuity the game will exist in as there are 12 core Tomb Raider games going back to 1996 that exist within multiple universes. The most recent Tomb Raider game was 2018's Shadow of the Tomb Raider on PS4, developed by Crystal Dynamics' sister studio Eidos Montreal. The last Crystal-led Tomb Raider game was 2015's Rise of the Tomb Raider, also on PS4. Other than Tomb Raider and continuing support for the aforementioned Avengers, Crystal Dynamics is also acting in a second-party capacity with Xbox, developing the Perfect Dark reboot on their behalf. Tomb Raider's original studio core design went defunct more than a decade ago, Their last game was the 2005 PSP launch window offering Smart Bomb, which some of you might remember as well. Not much to go on here, but Mm -hmm. Chris, we'll start with you. New Tomb Raider, Unreal 5, Crystal Dynamics going back to the well. I'm pleased to hear this because it wasn't clear that they were going to have the room to do this because Perfect Dark is probably going to take much of their resource or their resources. And then, of course, they still are supporting the Avengers. For some reason as well. So, Tomb Raider's continuing. It's not continuing elsewhere. The last Tomb Raider game, again, was not made by Crystal. So, this is a change. What do you think? I mean, we don't know much, but are you, are you looking forward to this one?
3: Yeah, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Tomb Raider. And, and I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I played through that entire reboot trilogy uh, from Crystal. And obviously, uh, what, what was the other studio that made uh, the Shadow? Uh, IDOS Montreal. IDOS. Yeah. yeah. I, I played through all of those, and I, I always came away from them being feeling pretty positively if only just for like you know just brief brief moments of really missed potential like I had a big thing with the last one where it's like they had a they had a really great character moment in Shadow of the Tomb Raider that they just completely walked back like 10 minutes after it happened and I was just like ah so close it's just so close to being like one of my favorite games probably ever because of, because that would have been such a satisfying narrative moment and then they it's just gone and now it's just back to being a a third person action adventure game that's pretty pretty good, you know? Yeah. But I I've always enjoyed Tomb Raider. I'm looking forward to seeing I I, I thought the image the art they use was really striking. Really, really evocative of, of classic the you know, that that cerulean blue top yeah. and, and and it's just like, ah, this is there's something about that imagery. It's just like really just uh it's nostalgic to me. It it it's Makes me excited. Uh, obviously, it's very well early on. Uh, this is probably years away, if I were to guess.
1: Oh yeah, this is early in development. Yeah, I would say twenty twenty five maybe. So I mean,
3: I'm optimistic, uh, only because I have not apparently learned my lesson yet. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think Tomb Raider is one of those one of those series that uh, that should be a, a, a consistent mainstay. I just think it has a lot to offer, and and the way that it shaped modern game design, especially, I think, is Uncharted. like you yeah you can you can trace a lot like a lot of modern game design
1: to to the original tomb raiders i agree yeah i got tomb raider 3 i remember for christmas in 1997 and that was the first tomb raider i got and i was like yeah this is i've never played anything like this and you know what i liked about the reboot dustin i like the rebooted games i beat the second and third ones i don't think i beat the first one but what i really liked about it was they, there was obviously some sort of problem with Lara Croft, right? Like she can't, she can be whatever she wants, I guess, but she can't be this big titted, ridiculous, you know, it's, it was ridiculous, right? And yeah, but what they did, I thought was nice, which is that Lara Croft is still super sexy. In fact, she's probably sexier than ever in these new games. But what they did was they put clothes on her and they gave her a, like, she's always been smart and stuff, but they really like gave her agency and a brain and put her in real mortal danger. And they did some weird shit where they still played up her femininity, like where she would die and it would be like this gratuitous death scene and all. Yeah, this. That was a little some weird. Some people had problems with that. Like I've played many Tomb Raider games. I haven't played them all, but like I played Legends and like some random shit like that in that interstitial, that really bad interstitial period. And then you go on to these new Tomb Raider games. I, I, I'm, I'm amped to see more and I'm glad that Crystal is going back because I think they did a really good job, although I think Eidos Montreal did fine too. So what do you make? Yeah. What do you make of this, Dustin?
4: Yeah, I I think it's cool. I'm curious whether they'll... I feel like it hasn't been quite enough time to to reboot it again. And like you're saying, I really like this new... I guess it's not really new at this point, the current version of her. So I wouldn't want to necessarily see them reboot it again. But the interesting aspect of this story is that it's being built in Unreal Engine 5. And we've seen this story similar stories pop up over the past couple weeks where developers are moving games to unreal engine. We just talked about uh, CD project moving the witcher over and it's interesting. I don't know enough about game development and particularly unreal engine five. And I, it would be really cool to learn specifically developers who are hands on with the tool set, but it's clear that there's something special going on uh, with unreal and what we've seen that matrix demo seeing developers move over from proprietary stuff to this it seems like there's a lot of potential and i don't know it, in some ways it it's kind of scary because you don't necessarily want this uh not that it's anywhere near a monopoly at this point with epic but you don't necessarily want there to just be one tool set to make triple a games and in or even indie games tons of smaller games are also made in unreal but at the same time, when we're talking about a, a landscape that games are becoming more and more expensive and taking more and more time, the thought of a tool that can drastically reduce that time and still put out high quality or even higher quality games, that's an intriguing concept. And maybe that's part of why we're seeing this shift over. It's, it's yet to be seen. I'm curious what the first major AAA game on Unreal Five that will be released, but I'm very, very interested to see how this shakes out.
1: It's well. Let me before I even say any more, let's just get Elias Starverov, uh, Starv- Star I'm sorry, on here he or she wrote in and said, "Hey CDC, our proprietary engines on the way out." Dustin's question: In the span of a week, we have b- seen big developers like CD Project Red and Crystal Dynamics announce their next projects will be used, uh, be using Unreal Engine Five. Digital Foundry talks about games growing in complexity, and with that, the engineering task to maintaining the tech becomes exponentially more costly, while simultaneously inadequate compared to what Epic provides. There's also the issue of new hires you guys brought up last week. Do you think Sony should stay the course with multiple engines, muscle up ICE for a real common engine, or something else entirely? Thanks for making my boring office job more bearable with all the great LSM content. Thank you, Elia. For writing in. now, ICE, Elia mentions ICE. ICE is for PlayStation nerds will know this, but ICE's initiative for the common engine. And this is a thing that Sony had started running in the PS2 era out of Naughty Dog, actually. And I think they're still there. And the idea was to try to get an engine. Now it was, and they, Sony has engines, internal engines, including most notably Decima, but there are others as well. And the idea, so to kind of put this out there, the reason that you want to do this is to just cut the middleman. By making everything proprietary, you just make more money. You don't have the license, not only the engine, but then the middleware. When you start up a, a game, What do you see? You see the same logos for like a lot of things. If you pay attention, you see, you know, Havoc or something over and over again. Just a whole splash screen of them. And each one of those represents money. In fact, they're all on that splash screen because part of the 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 agreement to use that is that it's going to be on that splash screen and it's going to be promoted that way. So you can understand why developers and publishers wanted to get away with this. Not so away from this, not so much developers, but publishers. They wanted something of their own. Just get rid of all of this shit. But to Dustin's point and to the letter's point, it's just becoming too complex. And I think what people are realizing is that at these different entities is that, listen, we chasing after the engine, after engines was a good idea at one time, but we're taking too long. The games are becoming too expensive and we're paying too much for all of this, these tools while we can just use Epic. And what's good about Epic is they actually have a really interesting deal. Their deal used to be 5% 5% of gross revenue. But in fact, it's better than that now. There's no licensing fee until a million dollars is grossed on a game. Now, that's nothing for a big AAA game, but I mean, if, if one of our games made been a million dollars, we fucking shit ourselves, right? So that's, a, that's an interesting deal that gets people into the door and they start learning to use these tools. And then as they get jobs at other studios, then they know how to use Unreal. And that's just, that's just more practical. It's to- totally that as well. Like, how useful is your knowledge of Crytek right now? Or CryEngine, yeah. rather. Like, how... How useful is your knowledge of foundation at Crystal Dynamics? It, it, it's, it, there is a lot to go into it. And so I think it's no coincidence. And by the way, if you're into one of those, if you're a bean counting Sony fan, which I know some of you are, Sony makes money on every single game that uses Unreal Engine. A little bit because they own a small piece of Epic. So they might have special publishing deals too where their first party and second party games might just have a free and clear deal for all we know because of their connection with PlayStation. So it might be the same thing as using Decima. Except you have more plugins, you have more middleware. Unreal Engine and, and, and engines work with a bunch of plugins. Like, it's just plug-in-place sort of things. You can have... Yeah. It could be as, something as small as, like, a font, something as large as a physics engine, right? Or a, f- a physics software middleware and all that. So, Epic just works well with that. You can go read about it if you guys want. It's, it's interesting. But, yeah, Unreal Engine 5, we don't know what the first one will be yet. And in the meantime, Unreal Engine 4.x is doing work. I mean, it's still still plenty of games coming out on it. Yeah. But Chris, this next one, I couldn't help but think of you about number two. Yeah. And a surprise but very welcome announcement. European developer Remedy announced that it's remaking its second and third games ever. Max Payne and Max Payne 2, the fall of Max Payne. This is substantial because the sequel in particular was published by Rockstar, and this new agreement is in conjunction with Rockstar, which will act as publisher. Now, the story behind Rockstar's involvement in Max Payne is a little more nebulous and confusing, but basically, Take-Two once owned a short-lived publisher you may remember called The Gathering of Developers. This publisher was mostly involved with PC stuff. They helped release games and series like Jazz Jackrabbit, which was Cliffy B's game back in the day, Railroad Tycoon, and others. And they worked on some PlayStation 2 stuff too, including the original Mafia, which was made by 2K Check. Anyway, that label published the original game and then Take-Two shuttered them. Take-Two also owned and still owns Rockstar, where game, se- where game 2 segued over to, and Remedy launched a sequel. The first two games came to PS2 in 2001 and to- 2003, respectively. Since then, Remedy obviously went in a different direction. They long worked on 2010's Alan Wake, which finally came to PS4 last year, a downloadable sequel in 2012, and then the Xbox-exclusive Quantum Break in 2016. In 2019, they followed up with the 505 published Control, and most recently, the team released Crossfire X with SmileGate, which was badly received on Xbox and PC. Although I think they did the single-player stuff, which is actually better received. So to be fair. Now yeah. the studio is working on five games with four publishers, a sequel to Alan Wake coming to PS5 via Epic, a sequel to Control coming to PS5 via 505, another PS5 game with 505 codenamed Condor, a mysterious 10 cent funded title known as Vanguard, and finally this Max Payne project. The Max Payne remake and its remade sequel will be released as one package, according to Remedy. It will be current-gen only, available on PlayStation 5 at an unknown point in time. However, don't expect it anytime soon. According to the press release, quote-unquote, this project is currently in the concept development stage. No idea what you would announce it now. Rockstar, like, always keeps everything close to their chest, and then they're going to talk about this game. It's very strange. Yeah. Uh, before I even get into anything, yeah, Chris, what do you think about this? I was going to read the next question, but actually there's much more for us to get into. What do you think about Max Payne and Max Payne 2 coming back?
3: Well I I mean I I don't know I I feel like I I like this. I I enjoyed Max Payne and Max Payne 2 quite a bit. I I played it on PC originally which like way after it came out. Like this is like way later. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, I I dug the the comic panel style like storytelling and and uh Sam Lake's hilarious face like plastered on this, yeah, <laughs> this out. Out. I was like, But I think yeah, but there's but there's I don't know. There's something about the the campiness of those original games. There's there's like a camp to it. It's not like rainy camp or nothing. It's not like insane, but there is an element of there's some comedy there in seeing just Sam Lake's face delivering all these brooding lines. I don't think it was intended that way, but I, I think it is what ended up being a, a big part of that charm. So to imagine like a like a, a next gen or like a I guess a current gen exclusive to this current gen remake of the original title's intent being like very very serious and very dire i do wonder whether or not some of that initial feeling is going to be lost because that does happen a lot in reboots and and remakes and uh, you know sometimes the, uh, the art direction meets miss, misses and, and sometimes the the atmosphere misses i mean you saw a lot of people talking about even just the way uh people are very finicky about that and uh, that that most recently that happened with uh the the early development, the development diary for Dead Space remake when people were like, that's that lighting's all wrong, even though it looked amazing. Right. <laughs> so it's it's one of those oh things my God. where that game's going to be so you, stop with the Dead
1: Space complaints. Are you kidding? Anyway, go on.
3: <laughs> it is it is crazy. But, but you know, I I, I get it because it's I, I get it on some degree because there is something special about the the way these original games are as they are and you know remakes are scary and especially with a with a studio like remedy who typically in in my view always deliver i haven't played crossfire x because i have no interest in it yeah it kind of came and went huh but yeah it kind of came and went. nobody cares but for the most part whenever they're working on something it's usually a hit i'm really excited about the sequel to alan wake i'm very excited about control obviously i know what happens in max pain and max pain too so i'm not over the moon about it But I am looking forward to seeing these games treated properly and given like given some TLC and love and care. I just wonder whether or not Remedy is just juggling too much right now, which is that's my main concern, because I want each of these things to be very, very good. And I don't know if that's possible if you have so much going on at once. Like, I don't want I don't want control. I don't want control to to suffer because they're also making Alan Wake Two at the same time. And as we we've talked about on the show probably ad nauseum resources come at a cost
1: you know yeah every every choice is it comes at a deficit of something else that could have been done right so well let's get into this i want to get into this from joseph you bring you bring it up and it's a good one joseph wrote into us on patreon said hey gents remedy just announced that they have agreed with rockstar games to remake the first two max Payne games as a fan of the franchise this is exciting news on paper remedy has matured as a developer over the years and i would love to see what they can achieve with their new tech My question is, do you think Remedy is silently taking on too many projects? My current count is Alan Wake 2, a sequel to Control, two new IPs titled Vanguard and Condor, and now the Max Payne remakes. At no other point in their history have they taken on more than one project at a time. I can't help to think how poorly received Crossfire X was and if that had anything to do with Remedy's workload. I will reiterate that they didn't make the poorly received part of the game, but they are kind of getting dragged into that, and that's their own problem and their own fault. Here's I am concerned about this, but here is why I am not necessarily concerned about it. And Dustin, will go over to you for this. to See what you think is they have these five games in development, but they are working with different publishers. They are not self-publishing any of these games. So they have different entities keeping them honest. It's not like either themselves, like a CD project type thing where it's just going to melt down or a situation where they have one publisher and they're kind of the golden goose. So they're going to get away with a bunch of shit. They have different deals with different publishers and they have different expectations with these different publishers that need to be met. And I don't think 505 Games is going to give a flying fuck about what, what their excuses are with Alan Wake 2 if these games aren't up to snuff and so on and so forth. So I feel like Remedy is biting off a lot. It's concerning, especially because, as I noted, Alan Wake took them like seven years to make. So now it's not like they have a culture of quick work. So, Dustin, what, what do you make of, of this? I feel like maybe the multiple publishers being involved will help keep them honest and on track. And I think that that's maybe the 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 silver lining. The other silver lining, of course, is that we're going to get a bunch of Remedy games, which is great.
4: Colin, I must. Well, OK, I'll put it this way. I got to save you from the comments because Remedy, Remedy, to my understanding, made that story mode, which is one of the major problems i like, thought it was
1: the online mode was the problem and that the the well both, both of them i thought legit. i thought the pro- yeah the, no saved me from it but i I, I, yeah. I thought it was that the free-to-play shooter mode was bad and then that wasn't even on the the stuff remedy made wasn't even on game pass and that was the problem with it i'm confused uh, by it but anyway sorry. The,
3: the 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 single player portion of of crossfire x the part because the, there's there's apparently two one of them made by remedy another one in-house or something it's it's a very confusing situation but uh Remedy's contribution was not particularly great. Okay, either. fair
4: enough. Fair enough, yeah. thank you. you know. Yeah, but yeah. Well, it's, I I just searched real quick and there's like Remedy's biggest
1: blunder, Crossfire X. So it just but seemed yeah, like they th- were getting blamed for someone else's game, but I I take that. Okay, fair enough.
3: Yeah. So
1: it is a big concern. I, mean, I guess they did
3: they did they did build it off of the, whatever was there, I guess, but like, you know, ultimately they still put out something that they probably knew wasn't good probably like "Ah, we're contractually obligated to to make a, a single player portion for this game that nobody in the west cares about at all yeah let's do it
4: i am highly concerned about how many games they have cooking right now just because and i know that studios change year by year but just think about this is the studio that had such a hard time getting alan wake out the door and then their game after that was a little bit mixed right with um the xbox exclusive game that they did which the name is quantum break Break. Wait, oh i thought you were talking
1: about american nightmare okay so yeah quantum break right yeah
4: quantum break which is it's not bad it it was it was fine enough but i don't know it reminds me of that era of of platinum where they were just doing all kinds of shit and then all of them came out and they were not good it just i don't i wonder if this is a situation where Whose idea was this? Did Rockstar say, hey, we're, we want to remake these. Uh, if you don't want to do it, then we're going to have someone else do it. And they felt like, OK, well, we got to make this work, something like that. It just seems like so. Mu- and these are games that are going to have such high expectations. Think about Alan Wake Two, the follow up to this game that many people revere as their their greatest game. The expectations are going to be so high, and I mean, same case with with Max Payne. You saw the excitement, at least on Twitter yesterday, of people that were so, like, so, so thrilled, and myself included. I've not played Max Payne two, but the first one I have really fond memories playing, and so I I can't help but be extremely skeptical. Uh, and maybe maybe some of these projects, like you you talk about the the five hundred five, the the unnamed stuff. Maybe that's like real far future stuff that they're just late. Maybe they've got a very small team that are, you know, getting the groundwork way pre pre production stuff. And maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the the, the hopeful glass half full. But seeing all this at once is is nothing but a red flag for me.
1: Do you agree, Chris?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about it. I think it's I think it's a lot for any studio, you know, let alone Remedy, who, again, doesn't necessarily have the best uh, track record of, of putting this stuff out quickly. Although I guess they are, they have been better in recent years. Obviously we had quantum break in 2015 control, I think about three years later and then three years later, obviously, you know, so there is, they, they're better at it, but it's still a lot like, and, and these are two high profile games in, in Alan Wake two And in my opinion, control two, which I'm like extra hyped for. Like I'm, I'm more excited for control than Alan Wake personally, because control was just wonderful. But then to have these two remakes of these very important games and then these other new IP, it's it's a lot.
1: So it's a lot for anybody, I think. Let's see here. Oh, I wanted to. I was looking at my notes. I wanted to bring this up before, before we move on. I never realized Remedy's logo was a bullet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was looking at it yesterday and it finally popped out to me. I was like, it's a bullet. Ah. Uh... Because, of course, Max Payne was known for the bullet time. Right. All right. Yeah. Let's move on to number three. Recently on the show, we've been hammering home a specific point. Skilled labor in the games industry is in massive demand and workers have perhaps never been in more control than they are right now. This was recently evidenced by PlayStation's acquisition of Bungie in which a staggering $1 billion of the buyout is going towards employee retention bonuses. In other words, Sony wants Bungie's workforce more than just its name and IP. Well, an even crazier move is happening across the Pacific, and for some reason, few outlets are discussing it. Capcom is giving its entire workforce an average raise of 30%. In a press release, Capcom announced the move alongside a reorganization of some of its internal corporate departments and said the following in part, quote, beginning with the 2022 fiscal year, Capcom will partially revise its compensation system. This will consist of an average base salary increase of 30% and the introduction of a bonus system more closely linked to the company's business performance, unquote. In other words, Capcom is booming, and they want everyone in their operation to feel the positive effects. Capcom, the renowned Japanese publisher and developer known for Street Fighter, Monster Hunter, Mega Man, and more, was founded in the late 70s and only a decade ago was in fairly dire straits. However, in recent years, the entity started to turn things around in a massive way, particularly on the back of two franchises, Resident Evil and the aforementioned Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter World, which came to PS4 in 2018, is the best-selling Capcom game ever. And every Resident Evil game since 2017's Resident Evil Seven has been a commercial and critical hit, particularly Resident Evil Two Remake, which launched in 2019 and sold substantially more than the PS1 original, which I I I was fascinated by that. So there's more news coming out about how Activision is taking all of its QA now and making them full time with at least twenty dollars an hour pay. So there is a massive move towards in Japan and in the West towards retention and. Here's the thing. And Chris, I'm curious what you think of this money talks like we do well, we pay fairly. But one thing I try to do at the end of every year at our company is to send everyone a bonus. Right. And I, as a freelancer, have never gotten a bonus, but I try to send a bonus so large that to people to show them appreciation that it's like staggering. It's like, holy shit, this is a lot of money and little moves like that. I believe not all it takes, but a big part of just treating your workforce with respect. Treat them human. Understand that they're not doing this for fun. Understand that we're not here doing sacred symbols just because it, it's, it's something that we get together and do. It has to pay the bills. It has to make sure that we can satiate ourselves our, and, and all the rest. And yeah. I try to do that. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I simply try to do that because I know what it's like to be underappreciated and underpaid and try to kind of nip that in the bud. And to see major corporations taking that initiative i find to be very positive and hopefully capcom can is 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 just the next domino falling in people getting better paid what do you think
3: yeah i mean i i don't know if i could i don't I don't know how much i can stretch out just saying i think it's positive you know like i i just hope i i hope this is emblematic of a change that is uh you know going to sweep the industry at at some point super soon because i do think uh I do think that's a really big deal, especially now where I feel like there's a lot of, I don't know, man, there's, there's a lot of people are feeling generally disenfranchised, you know, uh, especially after, after this pandemic and just after the crazy economic turmoil that, uh, that it, it wrought, you know, people aren't feeling too, I don't know if patriotic is the right word, but like, they're not feeling too great about. You know their jobs, and to see, uh, you know, a a, a rich industry um, treating their employees correctly, which you know, better late than never. I guess is how is how I should is how I should say. I I I, I
1: think it's positive. I think it's positive. Dustin, what do you what do you think? I I I like this. I what I like about this is the two pronged effect. They're saying, listen, we're not paying our people enough baseline. We're giving you a raise, but we're also going to have a new bonus structure too. And the most expensive part of any major corporation is its workforce. There's no doubt about that. People underestimate how expensive it is to employ people. It's not just your salary. It's everything else that goes into it. The division of your presence at a building that you rent, your costs on healthcare care and 401k stuff and deferment and all that. So there's a lot of cost going into it. But it's no doubt that those people are the lifeblood of any enterprise and they should be receiving the benefits. And if, I've said this in the past. If I was making gratuitous amounts of money, and wasn't sharing that with the people that helped me make it. I would really have a problem with myself. Nonetheless, have a problem with dealing and living with myself and all of that. And that we see corporations and I've said this before. I have no problem with a corporate with a CEO making five million, ten million, whatever a year. It's a hard job. Most people listening to the show, including me, would not be capable of being a CEO of a major corporation. It's a fucking lifestyle. And I wouldn't want to do that necessarily. And, and it's a difficult job to be the way the buck stops with a major corporation. But that people exist at McDonald's making $7.25 an hour somewhere in, like, Indiana. And then the corporate heads are making $50 million a year. I find that gratuitous. Fucked up. Because the source of the revenue comes at the bottom and then rises to the top. And it's not to say the people at the top don't do anything. It's to say that the people at the bottom do a lot. So I think it's quite rational to pay your people more. And I'm glad that the workers are in a position of power right now. I mean, shit, man. A Staten Island based Amazon warehouse just voted to unionize. It's awesome. Why not? I'm si- I hate corporations. I'm sick of these fucking companies. I like some of the products they make, but they they're not they're not ben- you know, they're not uh benign entities that don't do anything wrong or anything like that. They they fuck 'em. Get your money.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so what do you think? Yeah. Well, and I'm glad to see this this goes beyond. I
4: mean, like you mentioned, uh, this is Capcom, but few weeks ago we also saw bandai namco raise the base pay as well and what's what's good to see is that I, I don't know how this works on a or what the what the state is on a global perspective but obviously here in the us uh inflation is running rampant and so what it i'm and i'm guessing that that also there's some kind of global effect on that as well, at least I would. Yeah, assume. I, I mean,
1: inflation's worse in the United States than it is in most places, but everyone is experiencing inflation right now. Right. And the, what's cool about this is that this
4: is well above and beyond just a uh, an inflation markup, so to say. Right. This is 30 percent. I mean, that's insane. That's a a like bonuses normally well, not bonuses, but raises often are in the single digit percents. Uh, and so to go of a full 30% is just crazy along with bonuses. I mean, that's like you said, that is how if you are doing well and you want to retain your talent, I mean, money talks. That's how how you do it is pay well and go above and beyond and so it's it's good to see. I'm hopefully we see that crossover uh to some US developers as well, but it's it's good to see at least Japan taking the initiative.
1: I think it's trivial oh. I don't want to say it's trivial, but if you gave a half a million dollar bonus to like an employee that's been at your studio, like let's say he's a production head or something, he's been there for 10 years and you give him half a million dollars as a bonus when a big game came out. It's a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money. But that would probably buy in quotes his loyalty forever. He can go put a down payment on a mega house and his family be treated well for the rest of their lives. And it changes the whole baseline of his bill paying and his expectations with finances. And it just puts his mind at ease and like what is that worth and i think companies are trying to figure that out and are starting to figure out that churn only hurts you no offense but look at halo infinite right which chris always talks about it's just like it was made by like a fucking coalition Part of the pun of people it wasn't made by a team right it was made by like an nfl team where they're like half the players are always just coming and going yeah and i i, I just but, yeah. I, I don't think you can make great games like that i just don't uh, how could you? How could you make a great game like that? So I think people are trying to nail p- talent in place. It's not just about financially rewarding them and keeping them happy. It's about nailing them in place. And if you just got a 30% raise at Capcom and you're looking at oh, well, there's an opening at Platinum or there's an opening here. There's opening. Or, really? Now is there? You know, uh, you know, if you made the equivalent of $100,000 a year and you're making $130,000 a year now. Big raise. And uh, yeah, so congratulations to them. And Guys, keep getting yours out there. If you're a worker, keep getting yours. Yeah. Work hard. Do what you got to do. Be honest and forthright. Do what you're supposed to do. But make sure you're being compensated properly. And if you're not, consider fighting for it. Now, now's, I, I don't remember a time in my life where the worker has been more in control than they are right now. As my, my brother-in-law says, the, the help wanted signs just get bigger and bigger. They're not going away. All right. Number four. Since 2020, we've been telling you to keep an eye on Japanese publisher and developer SNK. Why? Because it's slowly being gobbled up by a sinister entity. And this week, we report to you the inevitable bad news. The deal is done. And 96% of SNK is now owned by a Saudi-aligned foundation. As quietly reported in SNK's financials as relayed by website The Verge, the MISC Foundation, owned and operated by Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, has increased its holding of the company to, it, to, to one of complete control. It was only in 2020 that the crown prince owned less than a third of the once popular Japanese entity, and the goal was always to transparently absorb larger and larger portions of the company, which has happened. Mohammed bin Salman, who is second in line to rule Saudi Arabia and who is widely seen as corrupt and responsible for major crimes and acts of terrorism, including the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, has embraced Western culture and companies to help normalize his his to-be reign and diversify Saudi Arabia's oil-dependent economy. It was just weeks ago that we reported that Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, literally the country itself, acquired 5% of both Capcom and Nexon as it too tries to diversify SNK founded in 1878 as I'm sorry 1878 1978 it could have been if it's like Nintendo is best known for its Neo Geo console and arcade games (laughs) these days its fighting games are largely all that's seen from the label both in the form of King of Fighters and Samurai Showdown side-scrolling shooter Metal Slug is also a well-known and still contemporary SNK product the Snack Squatch wrote in and said hey guys Colin you guys talked about the prince of Saudi Arabia owning SNK quite some time ago. This week, I've seen multiple stories reporting on this matter. Why is the mainstream gaming journalist always late to the party on these matters? They can beat the J.K. Rowling drum to death, but somehow let this go under the radar for so long. Thanks for all you guys do.
3: I just want to say, well, I, there's I, a simple, there's a simple answer Oh please, to that. Please, please, Chris, continue. Please, no. Well, I was gonna SEO. Oh yeah, SEO, of course. Row- J.K. Rowling is a uh, far, <laughs> a far sexier name to have on your headline than, Saudi Arabian But If you're getting paid $20 for a story, this we'll
1: in. talk about that in a little while, then maybe you're going to go for the SEO win. But yeah, I want to say, I said this on Discord. Don't forget who told you about this first. And not only a little bit first, I was talking about this in 2020. And I was talking about this on the show repeatedly. This guy is, bo- is getting involved in SNK. They're going to gobble SNK up. Keep an eye on SNK. It's going to happen. They're going to be literally owned by the man who killed Jamal Khashoggi, one of the most... One of the most uh, famous cases of journalistic malpractice ever. Literally, m- clearly murdering a, a journalist in, in yeah, broad yeah. daylight with like 18 Saudi agents involved in it. It's insane. These are the Saudi people are, are good people. I have no problem with the Saudis. We have Saudi listeners. The Saudi Arabian government is a tyrannical, theocratic autocracy. In Saudi Arabia, being gay is illegal. Try being a woman in Saudi Arabia and walking around without fucking tapestry over your body yeah. these aren't people that share our values and it matters it fucking matters so when you see an SNK game next time and you're putting mo- you're putting your money now directly in the pocket of Bin Salman
3: great oh, man that sucks that sucks so much I've, i I've that's <laughs> so bad i'm glad i already bought slug like uh the original metal slugs and i own them but like man i i love metal slugs so
1: much it's so depressing yeah it sucks dude dustin you have anything to add before we move on
4: i just uh i searched snk and i did see kotaku's headline one of the worst people in the world now owns over 96 percent of snk so at least they're sounding at the least alarm talking about it yep to some extent but uh Yeah, I think I'm I'm with Chris right now. We're just like, what do you say other
1: than it sucks? Like, yeah, like I, (laughs) I think that if more people were paying attention, this could have been avoided. See, this is the thing where I think people could have used their power. And when SNK and the owners in Japan announced that this was the plan, everyone could have been like, I don't think so. You know, this happened in didn't this just happen in 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 soccer in the Premier League in in England where like a Saudi entity was trying to buy a Premier League team and they're like, no way, dude, or some shit like that happened. It's like, um, you have to. <laughs> we could have we could have stopped this. It, it could like someone else could have been like, oh, I'll buy SNK like th- th- for a better this amount of money. I mean, not to say it's an Elon Musk situation, but literally Elon Musk has bought nine point two percent of Twitter. It's like a step, which is fucking hysterical. It's one of the funniest things ever. And yeah, you could have had a, a similar situation like save SNK. Like, how can we get a different buyer involved? I just feel like though we can't again live moralistic economic lives we can try to endeavor getting better outcomes and i don't think people were loud and boisterous enough about this i feel like this reminds me a little bit about not to be to put too fine a point on it but back in 2008 during the financial crisis when um like lehman brothers and aig fell and everyone's like oh just let them fall let them fall and then slowly realize there's just going to be this cascading effect and they put a stop to it maybe this is like the aig and next time a big foreign shadowy backwards medieval entity like the saudi government comes in and tries to buy one of the video game titans of the industry they own neo geo do you not understand that now neo geo you know like the one of the most famous arcade platforms it's just fucked i don't like it you know I, no i don't know what else to say just it's just fucked up that's yeah, it's really all we can say yeah, true enough <laughs> Sorry, we could stop it. Nope, too late. Too late. All right. Number five. As reported by website Axios, information that can be confirmed by this very podcast, Sony has laid off nearly 100 staff members from the PlayStation team, particularly in sales and marketing positions that, even with PlayStation's booming popularity, don't particularly fit with the current paradigm of hardware and software sales. As Axios writes in part, quote, the company is shutting down its merchandiser team in the U.S., Roles in that group include PlayStation representatives, whose job often involved going to retail stores to prime them to sell PlayStation products and ensure staffers were knowledgeable about them, end quote. It actually took a couple of weeks for these layoffs to bubble to the surface. This podcast first learned about them in late March. They were actually publicly reported by several people on Twitter, but journalists didn't take note, and without the ability to confirm, this show doesn't communicate with Sony in any way. We felt it better to stay quiet until it was reported elsewhere. It's funny, like, I was all over this when it happened because there were actually developers talking about it, and I was surprised that, no one said anything it was actually a friend of the show um luke bernard who's making the game about the holocaust we had him on a few uh, months ago he was the one that said like oh a bunch of my friends got laid off and i i followed up on that and i was just looking into it i'm like yeah you're right here's all the linkedin posts and all this and i was just waiting for someone to put it together but since i refused to talk to sony in any way i couldn't reach out to them to confirm and it just felt like it wasn't really that important anyway it was like i mean it sucks for those people that lost their jobs but it has nothing to do with this show but nonetheless yeah. Best of luck to you guys. Yeah, Number six. 100%. According to yet more reporting from famous gaming industry insider Tom Henderson, Ubisoft's FPS Battle Royale game Hyperscape may be being replaced by something else entirely. Now we know that Hyperscape is no more. The game which is on PS4 is set to be shut off at the end of this month, a weird move for a fairly young game, a sign that it's simply not doing well in a competitive landscape. But Ubisoft may now be directing its new multiplayer game energies into another project, which Henderson notes is called Pathfinder, or at least codename that. This game, which apparently looks graphically similar to Hyperscape, is also a battle royale. Quote: where a team of four players will drop into the map and find their path towards the center to fight the main AI boss. In order to get to the middle of the map, players will need to fight AI enemies to level up and get stronger. With AI getting noticeably more difficult the further towards the middle of the map you get. Presumably, the game will be PvPve as we'll be dropping into the map with other players, so the AI will not be your only threat. Players are called heroes, with each having their own unique abilities although those abilities cannot yet be determined as the game is in early development, end quote. Word of Ubisoft potentially trying something new in multiplayer comes on the back of Word that the publisher will see support of its most recent Ghost Recon game. We're actually going to talk about that shortly, so I'll leave that off. Chris, what do you think? Uh, it just seems like more generic. Like I don't even know. It's just, what, do you, what would you call something that's generic? Genera, I guess? Like the, the idea of just this just ether of shit where I, where yeah, and I don't it, it, care, you know? What do you think?
3: Yeah, I I, I just, I don't care about Battle Royale at all. I think it's a perfectly fine game mode for something that has a larger offering. Like, I've always, like, even with, like, something like Halo, like, people were like, ah, it should be a Battle Royale. It's like, well, it should maybe have one in it, but it shouldn't just be. And just the idea that, like, okay, here's a new, here's a new thing. It's a Battle Royale, and... It's that I'm already off the train at that point. I'm already like, all right, cool. Well, that's not doesn't interest me at all. But it's like, oh no, wait, hold on. It's got an interesting twist. PvPve, Also something I've heard before several times. And yeah, I hunt still Showdown. don't really hunt yeah, Showdown. Hunt, hunt Showdown. Like, yeah. Which which, to be fair, is apparently very good. Like the people who play that game, like insist that it's very and I honestly I believe it. But I I just can't i can't be expected to care every single time one of these damn things just cr- just bubbles up to the surface like hey i'm here too i do pvpve as well it's also a really terrible i don't know I, there's gotta be a better way to say that yeah i don't know i don't know you know yeah. like P- uh, pvpve is a really just awful I, uh, it's descriptive which you know fair enough there's plenty of there's a lot of nomenclature in the gaming industry that is very nondescript. we've talked about that before like adventure game and stuff like that but i just this this uh, this does nothing for me i i I don't know why they even god help ubisoft man like you know i hope you're all right (laughs) i hope you're okay over there
1: sorry guys i'm i can't believe this I was just looking at the bottom of my screen and it says 56 degrees tornado. Like, you know where it says weather? Yeah. Yeah, And then I click on this and it says tornado watch and effect. (laughs) Oh my God. Like what is, I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, Dustin, do you have anything to add for the Ubisoft hyperscape possible replacement? So back when
4: uh, I was working with uh, my old site, handsome phantom, we would, get packs emails of saying, Hey, come check out our game. And I used to joke that it was like Mad Libs of gaming. That was like, come check out our roguelike souls, like Metroidvania RPG uh, with a splash of portal. <laughs> like that would be the headline of the email. And that's what this yeah, kind of yeah. reminds me of is that we've kind of, we've already exhausted the base of battle royale. So we just got to start tacking shit onto it Well, it's battle royale it's pvpve and guess what you like overwatch right or you liked overwatch we got heroes baby just just keep tacking shit on and eventually they'll like it right that's how it works so i don't know i'm tired of these watered down (laughs) it's like a game that it sounds like i don't know i don't want to be too judgmental hopefully this This game comes out it's awesome um but I just when you start to continually add stuff like this, it's like, well, what element do you actually do correctly at this point? Because you're kind of it sounds like you're doing a a bit of everything, you know?
3: Yeah, you're doing you're doing so much that you can't possibly be good at any of it. Right. (laughs) Like it's like it's, it's one of those things where it's 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 also the the studio like specifically Ubisoft, you know, who has for the last however many years just been in a really weird spot with this type of thing like they obviously what was that weird x-defiant which they removed the Tom Clancy name
1: from so that's just going to be a standalone
3: game now they removed the Tom Clancy name from that then they announced something like and then three days later they took the trailer down and then here's this other thing it's a pvpve it's like if if Bungie was like hey we're going to make we're going to make a battle royale pvpve that would be disappointing to me but I would be interested because it's a, a developer that has a pedigree in some of this stuff. But, like, what the hell does this... What does this genre coming from Ubisoft really mean for anybody? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't hold any well, weight. Well, that's what
1: I was saying. Like, Ubisoft's a tale of two publishers for me. Because on one hand, they have, like, some really good shit, in my opinion. And then yeah. on the other hand, they have just this, this need, this desire. I don't blame them. I mean, Rainbow Six Siege probably lit up fire under their ass. Especially, like, look at this fucking game. Like, no one... But I think what they didn't realize was that I don't think Rainbow Six Siege was ever made to be what it became. I think sometimes games are morphed by the environment in which they're launched into. And you have to almost kind of embrace that and hope for it. It's almost it's the very piece of vital luck that every game is drawn into. And when you have a game that everyone is playing or you're expecting a lot of people to play to keep it sustaining, then that that luck increases. Right. And yeah, I don't know, man.
3: Especially a live service game, which which like lives and breathes based on its ability to a- adapt and evolve and, and, and change. But the, the the key point in that is you can't really meet people where they already are. You, ca- you kind of have to make something that stands on its own first, and then maybe it can become something greater in the future. Destiny 2 is a great example of that, where Destiny 2 launched in vanilla state really, really poorly. Like really, really bare bones, really, really bland. And now it's a very, very deep RPG with, like, genuine builds that you can, like, really sink your teeth into. It's a very different experience than it used to be. And it's partially because it had that opportunity. You know? Right. But what do you... But, but it feels like a lot of these games try to launch in that end state without doing the work to building a functioning game in the first place. And, I don't know. Well, it's also it's- like, why
1: don't you just take the energy, production value, the creativity behind Skull and Bones, X Defiant, Hyperscape, Skate, et cetera, et cetera, and just make one game and just say, like, yeah. we, we want your attention. If we want your attention in this space, like we want your attention with Assassin's Creed. We want your attention with the crew. We want your attention with just dance. And we want your attention with the division. And we want your attention with this game. This is like our this is our Apex Legends. This is our uh, Fortnite. And it's like, don't have 17 of those. And what are you doing? I have one yeah, of them well, yeah. I wonder if the
4: strategy comes from They're looking at how Fortnite launched Which was save, save the world And then they released the bare bones Battle Royale mode And it took off And so then they were able to invest a lot more money So you, mm. you, I almost wonder if they're mm. just Throwing stuff out there Hoping to hook something And then further invest a lot more Yeah, that's But fair. they're forgetting about I'm not saying that This is the only reason Fortnite did well off the bat but one of the major reasons that it was one of the only competent competitors to PUBG that was not available on consoles yet it was one of the early battle royale games and so it's like yeah it's also free and it was free so like that's a major element about how that game launched the environment that led it to you know skyrocket to success and it's like
1: i don't know if that same strategy will work for these other games all right well We'll keep it a close eye on Ubisoft. I almost want to do a deep dive on them on, on Plus at some point. I like just see it's hard. to. The problem with them is that with the exception of like Massive and Red Storm, they, they own a shit ton of teams that are just all named Ubisoft City. And it's hard to keep a track because of that about like what everyone is even doing. And it would be good to kind of like lay it out and see like, what is what is happening here? What What are you guys doing? And I, we can have a yeah. better understanding of that fascinating company, I think. And again, I have a lot of love for Ubisoft games. It's just. Some of them, no, not all of them. All right. Yeah. By the way, Ubisoft uh, bought, probably a marketing agency, bought ad space on Sacred Symbols through our ad reps for a podcast or whatever, which we declined because we don't want Ubisoft's money. Number seven. It's been a while since we've discussed Konami's e-football on this show, but it's time to break our silence. First, some background. As you probably know, Konami once had a long-running soccer series known as Winning Eleven and later Pro Evolution Soccer going all the way back to the mid-90s. While the series did well enough against EA's dominant FIFA franchise, it was still second fiddle each year. And several years ago, Konami decided to abandon the annualized approach to the series, opting to create a free-to-play platform instead. In the process, they abandoned Pez for eFootball, but there was a major problem. The game, which launched in early fall of 2021 on PS4 and PS5, was in pretty hard shape. Indeed, even as a free game, it was one of Metacritic's worst-scored games of the year, and Konami admitted it needed to fix things. According to an extensive blog post on Konami's website, that update is coming in mid-March. or I'm sorry, mid-April, in the form of patch 1.0. The publisher writes in part, quote, the development team has been hard at work since launch to regain the trust of our esteemed fans, as well as to make the game even more enjoyable for soccer fans around the world. Ellipsis. Although it has been six months since the initial release last September, we believe we have finally reached a level of quality that we can be confident of, end quote. The blog post extensively details all incoming changes, which are substantial. eFootball actually has promise, particularly overseas where soccer is biggest. The game charted on PlayStation's free-to-play charts around the world at launch, but fell off in most locales following its poor reception. I don't know if there's much more to say here, so I won't even throw it over to you guys, other than to say that I am watching this with great intrigue. EA is about to turn its own FIFA franchise upside down by renaming it. I don't think it's really going to matter, but we know that following this coming World Cup game, World Cup year to game, that EA is going to rename their game EA Football Club. And... Now, I'm not saying Pez is going to go for FIFA's name. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that would even be a good idea. But it gives them a little bit of breathing room. It gives them a little bit of oxygen to say, like, well, there's a little bit of interest here. And if you look at the European PSN charts, eFootball is still on them. So I really feel like if they got this game right, this could be number one on the free to play charts. It can be Konami's biggest game, but they just have to get it right. And I don't know what they were thinking coming out with the game in the state. It was like just just chill. Like, what is the rush? Don't don't these companies understand I don't believe in you only get one impression, like your first impression is the most important. That's it. But the first impression is really important. And when you have that first impression, you got to like. Follow it up with a better second impression. And I think that that's what they're going to try to do now. But eventually. You just run something into the ground, and I hope that they don't do that with this because they have actually a nice idea there. When you think about it, there are no free to play game sports games. Yeah. There's no free to play American hey, football right. game. There's no free to play baseball game. There's no free to play you know hockey game of any consequence on console. This is a fucking big deal. I don't think people really understand that. They just.
3: <laughs> I, I don't know.
1: Oh, fucking Konami.
3: Yeah. The worst. It's it's. I don't know. Just in general, games just releasing when they're clearly not ready. I just I don't I don't understand what your goal is because you'd ideally just want that. I. You're right that your first impression is not all that matters, but it, it matters a really great deal. Sure. Like, a, like, a, like a large amount. And if you can't nail that in at least a serviceable way, like at, like at the very least, because like Halo Infinite's in a rough state right now. But the very least, when that game came out, it was fun. And, the, you know, the ball physics worked. Right, like the core shooting so works, so to speak. Like, that like was the, the thing, was like the it, game
1: didn't work. Right.
3: Yeah. It still shouldn't have been really. I would have delayed that, that another year personally. Right. But but at the very least, it worked. But like when, when this game was out, we were the, 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 when we were reading what was wrong with it. It was the funniest thing ever, because it's like the core basis for why you would even play this game in the first place. It's like, oh, the balls, the, the ball didn't work in your football right. game cool Yeah.
1: exactly it's it was like an upscaled mobile game it was and that's fine if it's going to be a scaled game from the very top to the very bottom going towards the lowest common denominator but you need to make it work and hey konami open your fucking eyes your two major competitors in sports take two and electronic arts are now regularly canceling and and vetoing games that were supposed to come out for the last few years and just saying they're not ready and 2k when they tried to be cute and get Ukes off of the WWE game. Look what happened. They had to cancel the next one and then get a year to like gain people's trust back. And that's going to be a process. And uh, EA just nixed or take two, by the way, nixed that PGA revival too till next year. That was supposed to come out this year. And then EA has canceled like four or five basketball games in the last 10 years. You don't just release something because it's ready to go. You have to be careful. I don't know what they don't understand about that. Anyway, number eight. Let's go back to Ubisoft. There's some Ghost Recon related news to share if you're a fan of or of or interested in Ubisoft's long running Tom Clancy associated shooter. First things first. Breakpoint, the newest Ghost Recon game launched on PS4 in 2019, will no longer be updated. Word comes by way of the game's social media feeds, which notes that the game received some dozen updates and will no longer be updated after that. However, they are explicit. The servers for both Breakpoint and the previous Ghost Recon game, 2017's Wildlands, also on PS4, will remain on. But the news doesn't end there because there's a future for Ghost Recon, according to our report on website Kotaku. There, an article suggests that the NVIDIA-leaked project known as Over, O-V-E-R, is in fact Ghost Recon, that it's in development, presumably at longtime Ghost Recon developer Ubisoft Paris, and it may come to PlayStation 5 as soon as 2023. The original Ghost Recon launched back in 2001 on PC via Ubisoft-owned Team RedStorm, which is the original Tom Clancy studio. It was ported to PlayStation 2 in 2002, and it was followed by a proper sequel, Ghost Recon 2, after a few years of spinoff support on the original game, it came to PS2 in 2005. The last notable pre-Ubisoft Paris Ghost Recon game was PS3's Future Soldier, which launched in 2012, and represented a passing of the baton from Red Storm, which acted as lead developer, to Ubisoft Paris, which acted in support. I don't know that we need to get more into this, it's just more Ubisoft. Yeah. This news broke right before we started recording, so I wrote it up, but um, Ghost Re- Recon will return, and Ghost Recon Breakpoint was not well received. I think Wildlands, people like that game. Um, so these games will remain on and that'll be that's nice. No reason to shut them off. So fair enough. <laughs> Number nine, I'm excited about this one. Wonderful Canadian studio and friends of the show Drinkbox have received that their newest game or revealed that the newest game Nobody Saves the World is finally coming to PlayStation consoles. The game first launched early this year on Xbox and PC, where it was available via Game Pass. The dungeon crawling action RPG is Drinkbox's sixth game its first being the PS3-exclusive downloadable game, Tales from Space, about a blob, which launched in 2011. However, PlayStation fans first fell in love with the team the following year, when Tales from Space Mutant Blob's attack came to Vita when the handheld launched. It was later ported to PS3. Perhaps its most popular game is the side-scrolling brawler Guacamelee, which came to PS3 and Vita in 2013 and PS4 in 2014. Its sequel followed on PS4 in 2018. In between, the team released one-time Vita-exclusive dungeon-crawling RPG Severed in 2016. I love that game. Nobody Saves the World, which is based around a protagonist that can use a bunch of different powers, launches on both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on April 14th, right around the corner. Um, those guys are buddies of mine. I'm actually in the credits of Nobody Saves the World, which is funny, but they, uh, they're they buddies of mine, friends of the show, love Drinkbox, super excited for this game to come to PlayStation, gonna play the shit out of it. Dustin, did you play it on Game Pass? I played a little bit of it, but I ended up getting
4: distracted, but this is a good opportunity, honestly, Sorry, but I'm thinking this might be a good Switch game. Take on the go. Yeah, it'll be there. on Switch as well, I think. Yeah, so, so I think I, I may end up picking it up there. But I do, mm, I also have a Steam Deck that will eventually come at some point. So maybe I should get the PC version. <laughs> I have no idea when that thing is coming. I'm s-
3: you still waiting on that? You, you think it's uh... a. <laughs> is there like a, a progress bar on that or, or what? No, okay. It's off topic, but
4: Gabe's there is come a, bring it to you. there's a calculator. That you can use, (laughs) that if you, like, enter in this thing, you can, it'll give you an estimate of when it thinks it will ship your Steam Deck, which is just crazy, because I was there, day one, when it unlocked, and, like, the moment pre-orders went up, I was like, I'm going for it, and, uh, I'm still, according to that calculator, I'm probably still a few weeks away from mine, but, uh.
1: We'll Gabe's see. Gonna, Gabe's gonna come knock on your door, man. It's be Dude, please. Yeah. Gabe, you are welcome. I
4: will I would cook dinner for Dave, for Gabe. We could, you know, maybe sit on the porch, drink some some wine, maybe have a, That's the, <laughs> a little bit of romance. I mean yeah. I'm that's what it is that's what it takes
3: every every day he's the only person delivering steam decks and every day he delivers (laughs) one and spends a grand amount of quality time with each individual customer and that's why it's taking so long so you can't complain one at a time that is triple that is quadruple a customer service yeah
1: (laughs) all right what else here oh um here we go number 10 While we wait for PlayStation Now to be folded into PlayStation Plus beginning in June, the streaming and back catalog service nonetheless persists with some new additions for the month of April, all, of course, on PlayStation 4. The biggest game of the bunch is no doubt the exploration game The Outer Wilds from developer Mobius Digital, which first launched in 2019. Also included is the Clioton-developed racing game WRC 10, the 2019 adventure title Journey to the Savage Planet from defunct Team Typhoon Studios, R.I.P. Stadia. They, of course, made that game for Stadia. And paper and pencil RPG inspired action RPG Werewolf, the Apocalypse Earthblood, developed by Cyanide. All of these games should be on Now's service by the time this podcast launch uh, launches and will be available until unknown periods of time, respectively. A couple of those games are from um, Nacon, so I'm wondering if they have some sort of deal going with Sony right now. Bart Van Geert wrote in, clearly from the Netherlands, and he says, Hey, CDC, long-time listener, first time writing in. I'm a 44-year-old bus driver, and I want to thank you guys for making those hefty work hours a lot more durable with the excellent podcast. Thank you. I was wondering if everyone here realized that in the PlayStation blog about the upcoming PS Plus tiers, current PS Now members are going to be put into the highest tier, namely PS Plus Premium. With this being the case, I recently bought three years of PS Now on the website cdkeys.com for 127 euros, thus saving 232 euros. Basically getting three years for the price of one. Just thought I'd share this because life isn't getting cheaper and we need all the money to romance our chicken before stuffing it. Thank you, Bart, for writing in. Appreciate it. I saw this. I don't know if you guys saw this. There's a pretty easy workaround. However, I refuse to do it because I really just don't know if I'm going to want it or not. Like people have been pointing this out. It's like Sony knows that you can do that. They could have shut that down quickly. They don't care that you're doing that. (laughs) Yeah, because you're still buying. You're still buying into the system. They don't give a shit. You're just boosting their numbers. So... Uh, for me, I, I'm I know that that trick exists. I don't know if it's going to exist or still be doable by the time this podcast airs. I hope it is, if that's what you're interested in. And I was going to do it. I saw people like being like, I bought five years and so I'm like, but what if it sucks? You know, I, I just that's how I feel. <laughs> I'm not that hard up where I mean, it's nice to save money, but I'd rather just wait and see. And then if it's for me, I'll buy it. Uh, what What do you, do you Did you guys do this, Dustin?
4: No, I saw that. I had people encouraging me to do it, but again, it's. It's kind of a principle thing for me that it's like I'm not just I don't want to just blindly buy in right now. We don't like I, like we were saying last week. This is a content service and we know nothing about the
1: content, really. So wait and see. Yeah, I'm all about that. Chris, are you are you getting the uh the easy PS now subs? No, I'll I'll wait to
3: see what's what's on this thing and hopefully all the backwards compatible uh, titles run better than Chrono Cross. Yeah, we'll see. No, it's, the so PAL versions, run... Chris, get ready. <laughs> the PAL version, it's coming just Can like the, imagine? the ps1 just, classic <laughs> yeah they they take all of the pal versions off the ps1 classic and it's like this is this is what you paid for nice 25 frames a second yeah
4: it's actually that's going to be the, the list it's actually just the ps1 classic games running in pal mode with two or three frames less and whatever the most desirable game on the ps1 classic isn't won't
3: be there people
4: will be like i'm so glad i paid how... in
3: advance for this i know right can you imagine that? It like cuz I bad. can uh, cuz I can. That's the problem. It's like cause like no way the PS1 Classic didn't sell like crazy. Like it's not like it's not like everybody in the PlayStation ecosystem just has a PlayStation Classic just sitting on the They could get away with that, really. Jim Ryan says They could just be like
4: fuck you, you're going to play Mr.
3: Driller and like it. Sit down.
4: Eat.
3: <laughs> He's going to hold a PlayStation 1 controller up to the <laughs> up to the camera like that
1: finally wrap up website push square reports driving simulator alaskan truck simulator comes to ps4 and ps5 at some point over the next couple of months And action action rpg made in abyss binary star falling into darkness comes to ps4 at some point this fall are you looking forward to that doesn't you made a face
4: i've heard of that anime that people really enjoy that i didn't know there was a a game coming yep. so interesting
1: the website also reports that light gun game the house of the dead may be ps4 bound in remake form perhaps in the coming days according to a leaked listing from psn while Dying Light 2 will be getting a new game plus mode in the coming weeks. Website Komatsu reports Taito-themed collection, Layer Section, and Galactic Act- Attack S Tribute comes to PS4 on April 28th. Old Sega CD game Kids on Site Hard Hat Edition comes to PS4 on June 14th. And Shmup, Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid Burst Forth Koro Gan Breath comes to PS4 at some point this summer. And fi- I, put I put that box art in our uh, our corporate Discord, by the way, so everyone can see it. And finally... And and Micah pointed out that it is censored on PS4, and I don't know if anyone is noticing that, but the boobs of one of the characters much bigger on the Switch version. Is it, is it, uh, is that the, the shump? The shump, yes, the shump, exactly. And finally, Website Video Games Chronicle reports that Sim Game Two Point Campus has been delayed from its May 17th launch date on PS4 and PS5, and now will come to both consoles on August 9th. There also is another piece of news that just broke while we were recording. It seems that Tactics Ogre might be coming back. Tactics Tactics Ogre, of course, is a beloved at the time, uh, well, it's now Square Enix uh, strategy role-playing game series. And um, it first came to SNES in 1995. You guys might know the game Let Us Cling Together, which came to PSP in 2010. Awesome, awesome game. Well, Tactics Ogre Reborn has been trademarked in Japan, indicating that something's happening. And by the way, that was in the NVIDIA leak as well.
2: Oh. so
1: we'll, We'll keep an eye out for that. But boys, as we always do, we end every episode of Sacred Symbols with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience over on Patreon. Support us and be on the show, patreon.com slash media. We appreciate you. Deep Dark Boys wrote in and said, hey, dudes, new listener here. Going to be around for quite a while, I suspect. So here's the Colin not croaking anytime soon. We'll see.
3: Hopefully. Right, we'll see, yeah.
1: February and March were, as you guys have noted, insane months for game releases. However, I've noticed something kind of strange. The release date slate for the rest of the year is looking ar- uncharacteristically barren. Typically, things are... Ex- are- There are exciting dates, I'm sorry, all over the calendar, delays be damned, but 2022 holds what, Saints Row? I imagine the cancellations of big events like E3 and the ongoing complications of remote work, I can't speak, in the COVID era, have contributed to this lack of announcements, but I'm curious, what do you guys believe is in store for us before the end of the year? Could Daddy Kratos be donning the Santa hat? Could the Terminator visit us in the future with Slitterhead in tow? Thanks for both heightening and grounding my love for this industry, gents. Thank you, and sorry for butchering your entire letter. Dustin, let's start with you. The year is getting pretty slow. Lego Star Wars is actually the last big release until maybe the supermassive game that's coming out in June. I already forgot what it's called. And beyond that, yes, yeah, Saints Row. It's not much. I mean, this is kind of exciting because there's not much to play. We can kind of catch up. What do you think about this? That's exactly
4: what I was thinking, Colin, is that there are stuff or things that I want to go back and play that I'm very amped to. I totally missed the persona arena release on ps4 the fighting game totally came and went and i didn't realize i that it came out so i'm excited to go back to that roll back netcode yeah yeah so i am excited for that as far as the rest of the year there are still some some big things i mean of course god of war as uh deep dark boys mentioned will most likely be sometime this year i mean it's not out of the realm of possibility that it could get delayed again, but it is sh- strange to see things kind of die down. It makes you wonder, will there be a lot of dates given over the next few months? Now, you know, E3 is kind of dissolved, but we'll still have that summer release season. So I'm thinking that a lot of the the question marks we have right now will uh, hopefully be solved in the coming months and we can know what to expect for the holiday season but overall i'm i'm okay i don't know Maybe i just feel full right now from definitely elden ring and Ghostwire. i feel like i've played some some fantastic games and so i'm just kind of relaxing seeing you know a little bit of this a little bit of persona fighting a little bit of kirby and we don't have to feel kirby. the uh the immense pressure of new games every single week
1: I totally agree. I'm looking at the release schedule now, and the only games that are coming that we really would even be on this podcast, be remotely interested in that have dates is Nobody Saves the World, April 14th. And then the Stanley Parable comes to PS4 and PS5 finally on April 27th. So that's pretty big. Trek to Yomi is May 5th. Salt and Sacrifice, which is going to be big uh, on both PS4 and PS5, is May 10th. And then that Vampires the Masquerade Swan song is coming to PS4 and PS5. That's May 19th. Sniper Elite 5, May 26th. Spellforce 3 Reforced is June 7th. Capcom Fighting Collection, June 24th. DNF Duel, June 28th. Same date that Disgaea 6 comes to PS4 and PS5. And then Saints Row in August. Soul Hackers 2 in August. Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero in September. Forspoken in October. Gotham Knights in October. And that's it. Everything else doesn't have a date. So we wait and we see. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? I don't know. Like I, am kind of with Dustin, where it's just
3: like I'm just looking forward to getting back into my backlog. You know, like i I still have Prey waiting for me, and I've been, I've been itching, I've been itching to get back to Prey. I just, I, I feel like there's something really, really incredible there. But for the most part, yeah. On uh, as far as the Sony front, yeah, I, I don't know. There's got to war be God awards much... I, I, I just there. Yeah, you, you have to assume. That like that has to be in the in the plans, but outside of that, I'm just looking at, I don't know, man. It's it makes me so sad to see Metal Slug Tactics on the on the list of things that, are, that, that were going to come out this year that I was like genuinely excited about.
1: You could still be excited about ah, it and play it. You know, you got to do what you got to uh, do. It's it's. I'll find it's I'll find a way.
3: Yeah. I'll find a way. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> there are avenues, but I think uh, you know I, I I don't know I I am just I'm going to use this time wisely. Because there's just a lot, out of nowhere, these, these kinds of months can happen. Where like the last, fe- this February and March can happen out of nowhere. Because so many things get delayed or pushed. Like, oh yeah, February, why not? And then you have a February that's just chock full of great shit. Or just like one random month that's just an insanely difficult month to get through. Just because of how much is available. So, in preparation for the next month like that i'm going to be taking it easy I'm going to be playing some games that i was playing before that i didn't get to finish playing some games that i missed out on and just try and try and build up a a more complete list of completed titles because i find that i find that i don't know my backlog's full of stuff that i start and never finish because i just get like I don't know, I get bored or I get distracted and I'm just, I want to I finish things more often. Yeah,
1: I totally understand that. The reality is that most people don't finish their games. I mean, trophies and achievements totally revealed that to everyone. I'm looking at my list and I want to get back to Infer- my trophy list. I want to get back to Infernax. That game was awesome. Maybe give Deathloop another try. Just cause Tales of Arise I-, I did miss and didn't really play. Biomutant I would like to get back to at some point. So there are game. I'm I'm Dude, if they didn't release any games the rest of the year, I'd be amped. Because there's just there is yeah. just so much to play, but I also think that Sony's been uncharacteristically uncharacteristically quiet, even for them. And I think that it, I wouldn't be surprised if they announced one or two games that come out this year on PS4 yeah. and or PS5, including Factions, which I've been hearing rumblings about behind the scenes. Although I don't know the the true veracity of them, but I, I, just that there is some inkling that that maybe Factions will be attached to the Last of Us remake, which would huh. like in other words, they're remaking. The original Last of Us, you can't really remake fact. You could remake factions, but why? Why not have a just totally new, robust factions? But I think it should just be a standalone. Who the hell knows what's going to happen there? Thank you for writing in, Deep Dark. I mean, they they could they could they could do both. Also,
3: like what they did with Ghost of Tsushima, where they they put it out as DLC, but then they also released the standalone skew.
1: I agree. We'll see. I'm very excited about that. Hurry up, Naughty Dog. James Hill wrote in, said, "Howdy, CDC. Been freeloading since day one, but as soon as I saw Colin somehow got Hassan Karaman on camera, I knew I had to start tithing to Last Stand." Thank you. I am now a loyal member of your flock, Shepard Moriarty. My question is pay or lack of pay to freelance journalists in the gaming industry. On April 4th, IGN senior editor Cat Bailey said the following in a tweet. Ig-, quote, IGN is looking for new freelancers to assist with the daily flow of stories in games, entertainment, tech, and science. $20 base rate per story, sliding scale for heavier reporting, DM with an introduction and portfolio for details. Unquote. Bailey further elaborated on what a sliding scale meant. Quote, Twenty dollars for basic news aggregation, fifty dollars for slightly more involved stories like finding us a fun community angle that's not sourced from another outlet, social media reacts, etc. Three hundred dollars and up for in-depth multi-source reporting. End quote. IGN is the world's biggest game website and they're paying freelancers piss poor for their work. You can turn and burn news aggregate stories, but there is only so much news in a day. Depending on what you can, uh, depending on when you can get interviews, multi-source stories take at least a full day. Is this a major reason why gaming journalism is in its current state? Shit coverage for shit pay. Are people with real journalistic chops being scared off by bad pay and a toxic holier-than-thou culture? Why would you work with an IGN when you can be paid more doing PR for a publisher or try your luck with the YouTube algorithm? Thank you, James, for writing in. This was a big industry controversy this week about how little IGN pays for its news reporting. IGN always didn't always pay that little. I don't know when that happened. But uh, before I even get into it, I'm curious what you guys made of this. Dustin, you come from the freelance world. What did you make of this, uh, the hullabaloo here? I think in
4: some ways my gut tells me when we're t- specifically talking about the news aggregation, I, I'd i have to talk to someone who does this, but I have known people that did news, news stories for IGN, and when we're talking about, they said, $20 for a basic news aggregation, the way that I would see it working is that you would get a press release, and then basically you would spend somewhere between probably 10 to 30 minutes basically rewriting what the uh what the press release says and then putting some of the press shots in and that's really it so theoretically if you're a quick writer and if it is basic news aggregation you could probably do three of these in an hour and make sixty dollars an hour is it For, like, you know, we're talking about the mainstream gaming journalism in its current state that's just rehashing press releases. You know, maybe that's not so good, but my gut tells me that's not so bad for truly what they're asking for. The bigger question is when you get into the $300 and up for more in depth multi source reporting. And that's where it more comes into question. It's like, okay, well, how in depth are we talking? Here, full interviews stuff like that but i don't know to be honest i never did freelancing reporting so i i can't speak to this too much but i don't know do you think i'm off base colin saying
1: that it's particularly for the news aggregation that's really yeah doesn't seem to be that bad it's not terrible i mean writing a news aggregate story literally just saying like this game was announced is so fucking easy i used to write like 10 of those a day at IGN. it's it's not like in between other things that i was doing it's not a big deal right. and so i could see a, a, a situation where an, a, a really enterprising freelancer is like i'll fucking make a hundred dollars a day two hundred dollars a day doing this and that to me i'm like that's fine especially because it's really not that intensive i think people think well i don't think, think pe- people think writing is harder than it is P- writing is just harder for people than it is for a lot of people than it is for me. And so maybe I just am able to do it a little qu- more quickly. What I'm more concerned about is that IGN was promoting this as if it was like good pay. And what really comes to mind for me is just that I, I personally believe if your goal is to end up working at a website like IGN, you have weird goals in 2022. Like I, I just, I think that when I became a freelancer at IGN in 2002, I was paid $200 for strategy guides, which is nothing. but That pay ended up going up to $500 a month. And then I started doing other things and started doing like database work for $500 a month. And then I started doing TV show reviews for $50 each and all this like random shit. And I used to make thousands of dollars a month in college at IGN. Because like if you just kind of put it together, you can make it happen. I think that these kinds of opportunities exist for the hungry. The question is, is like, what are you hungry for? Because IGN has no future outside of what it is right now. And most of these websites have no future outside of what they are right now. And I agree with James that you're kind of better off just going and doing it on your own. And you might not succeed, or probably won't succeed, but you're also not going to be insulted with twenty dollars for a story. Chris, what do you think about this pay scale?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I have no, I have no familiarity with uh, what it what the pay scale is like in 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 journalism or or in media or in any any one of these websites. I, I wrote a little bit for like a friend of mine's site he tried to start something up uh this was like 2013 2014 uh and it was whatever like but we were just doing it for fun you know like it was not like I was just like yeah i'll help this guy out he's uh he's a good guy so i didn't have any real experience with the pay of it uh but it i I saw that and it seemed insultingly low but i also wasn't sure if that if it was like I, i was like almost looking around to see if like is that just how it is and everybody's Perception is just warped because I'm sure there is a perception for whatever reason uh, that if you're writing for a video game website, you're just loaded. Because <laughs> I've seen those, I've seen that perception in like comments or whatever. It's like, oh, this IGN, uh, this this guy writes for IGN, and and you know he must be he must be uh, he must have a mansion in the hills, and it's like, uh he
1: probably lives with seven people in the worst part. Of yeah, maybe
3: cool. It maybe cool. It's it's San Francisco, so <laughs> but. But yeah, I, I, I thought it was an insultingly low price, but then I immediately forgot about it. Yeah.
1: Well, I understand. I mean, to me, it's like I wouldn't do anything for $20 now, but yeah, Newsweek a few years ago, I think I said this on the show, Newsweek a few years ago wrote to me like the magazine and was like, do you want to write a guest op-ed about something? And they're like, we're not looking to pay or something like that. And I was like, I wrote them back and I'm like, I won't do any, I don't do anything for free. And then they ended up going to someone else in the industry and that, that person ended up writing this free thing. I'm like, I'm not fucking doing free labor for you. What is this? Are you crazy? I'm 37 years old. I will say this, <laughs> that the lowest amount of money that someone gets paid to appear on a podcast at IGN, or I'm, I'm sorry, at, at uh, Last Stand, our company, is $100. That's the minimum amount we pay for a podcast appearance. And that's for like a guest. They're a little different than $20 an article. And we are not a corporation owned by a parent company with a market cap of over a billion dollars it's me i own the company and i run it out of my house so maybe it's just start treating your people a little bit better i literally tell people yeah. come and talk to me for an hour i'll pay a hundred dollars right like that's just free money and you've put it in your paypal account and you go buy someone with it who cares all right number three zach Wishnoff wrote in and said hello cdc are there politically focused games like bioshock that you recommend I thoroughly enjoyed the series and want to explore games that have similar themes. In my experience, it's nothing like Bioshock. It's just a unique series. But there are other political games. Spec Ops The Line, we always talk about, comes to mind for me. Also, what is that game with the Stalin people? The, oh, Disco Elysium. Uh, Disco Elysium. Yeah, that's supposed to be like a very deeply political game that I'm hearing very good things about. Maybe one day I'll play it. Chris, does anything come to you? Or We're both Bioshock fans through and through. Does anything come to you that kind of touches the politics of of that series, no, no man. That that Bioshock is is a league of its own,
3: as as far as I'm concerned. When it comes to that specific aspect of it, it's it's even Spec Ops: The Line, for as political as it was, it it you know it it it's not quite it's not quite in the same way that Bioshock is. It's very very different. But I would say the only ones that come to mind are the ones that you mentioned. Like Disco Elysium is obvious. Disco Elysium came to mind first because it's like very explicit, but I mean, there are there's political angles in a lot of games that maybe you wouldn't expect. I mean, there's there's some politics in the in the realm of like in the realm of like Fallout, sure, in in the Fallout universe definitely. and stuff like that. Like, there's there's definitely like games that sort of touch on it, but you're not going to find anything if you're looking for something like Bioshock, you're not
1: going to find yeah, it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I'm looking at my games, my trophies, and I'm like, I don't know, anything is remotely like that. What, do you have? Anything that comes to mind for you, Dustin?
4: Well, I think there's something to be said about um, political games and or philosophical games, because I think you could equally call Bioshock a philosophical game as well. Mm -hmm. I think that it's it's easier to say to to recommend games that if you want to just say have deeper meanings in some ways or have talk about uh, or have like overall higher objectives. I, I don't know what I'm exactly trying to say i'm thinking of like i don't know i i don't know if this is a good comparison but if i think of a game that gave me the same types of further thinking outside the game i think of near like that's a very philosophical series but it's not necessarily political uh just because if you I, i looked up specifically while you guys were talking like what does it mean to exactly be political because does that make is wolfenstein a political game because uh you're taking on the
3: government of i guess the world <laughs> at that point i I've, you know i, I mean? think i think it works in i think it's like a sliding scale I, I i think if you have if you have a game like wolfenstein it's it's definitely inherently political in some way sure you know? like it, you can't you can't be fighting the nazis and have it be 100 percent apolitical go, go to venus because to fight the message Hitler. there yeah the, the message that's being broadcast politically or apolitically like is kill the nazis which is a political message, just not a particularly thorough one or a particularly robust one. But, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Because the, there are games that make me think a lot, but not necessarily in, like, a a political way. Sure. You know, like, Shadow of the Colossus is one of those. Where it's like, that's a really evocative title. Oh, yeah, dude. Title and a very, there's a, like, that ending, the ending of Shadow of the Colossus is, like, a really impactful ending. It's got nothing to do with politics, like, at all. But it's very, very philosophical. Uh, I I think like the the only thing that's coming to mind right now is is genuinely something like something like an RPG, something like Mass Effect. Like, there's there's definitely like political intrigue in that series. There's definitely, I, I mean, Metro has has flashes of that. Uh, just based on the the inherent setting. Um, but yeah, man, Bioshock is a league of its own. Like, I, I can't, I I really cannot think of. Another game quite like it as far as the way that it melds political themes into gameplay and and philosophy and all that stuff
1: it's it's incredible yeah i agree and well like i said i mean you can think of yes yeah, civilization or the division and games that i like that have politics in them but yeah messaging like that yeah. is really metal yeah. gear solid right that's, metal gear yeah that's another another great example yeah. of course um but nothing nothing deals with it like bosh i don't really one of it's one of the reasons why we're so excited for it to hopefully come. shout back. out to ken hell yeah
3: oh there's also that Saints Row game where you where you're the president. Oh yeah, that's Saints Row Three, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's that's technically pretty <laughs> yeah, political. I forgot, I forgot could, about that. And what is it? You could choose to end world hunger or or cure cancer or whatever, but you oh you can only choose one of them. And it's Keith David as himself holding it up to you. God,
1: <laughs> good stuff.
3: Ridiculous.
1: Dakota Brown writes in says hello CDC. I have a simple question for you guys. Do you all feel that video games are the best form of escapism? I lost my brother recently, and nothing seems to help distract me unless I was playing a game. Drinking or smoking weed got me in my feelings. Same with being around friends and family. Only playing Elden Ring and exploring the world helped distract me. I'm doing better overall now, but the game got me through my hardest days. Just curious if you all had a similar experience with games. I appreciate you all on that recent Sacred Symbol- Symbols Plus episode with Hassan as top-tier content. Thank you, Dakota. Sorry to hear about your brother. Yeah. Yeah, I do think video games are the ultimate form of escapism. The problem is, is that I still need to be in a, in a certain frame of mind to be able to escape. There are times where nothing is going to let me escape from what's going on in my life. I, I think I last went through that after I left L.A. and was just going through a lot of personal things where I was just out of commission, just totally out of commission. And nothing was, there was no video games, there was nothing but me laying in bed watching TV or something. And I would love to have escaped at that time, but I know that I wouldn't have been focused. But when I can get my mind in it, which is usually, then yeah, there is no there is no escapism quite like video games. W- what do you think, Dustin?
4: Yeah, it's, it's difficult for me just because with video games, there's a, an extra level of attention that you have to give to it. And so in some instances, I feel like that would be better than music or watching a movie or reading a book. Well, I guess maybe reading a book could be on the same level because it requires sure. an extra level of attention, but... I guess it depends on how difficult or what you're trying to escape is, because I know that there's been times where I wanted to play video games to try to relax, but I can't because there's that thing and it doesn't go away. And it's like, well, I can't even play a game right now. Right. But no. I think that would be on a, for a case by case basis. You know, I I don't know for me it's it's never been an escape is just one thing and sometimes listen for me like if you're feeling down or sad then maybe listening to that sad song and just embracing it is the way to escape it is to just feel what you need to feel and have something even yeah. emphasize that for a few moments in order to move on that's another way of of looking at it but uh obviously i mean for some people video games are like the
3: go to and I'm it's awesome that they have that uh for there for them I agree Chris what do you think I don't know I I think it depends obviously everything depends on the quality of like what it is you're playing like you you, like if you're playing like a really terrible game that's not going to help you escape at all you're just going to be like all right this is this this is terrible and I feel terrible so it's extra bad (laughs) so it's like but like when you when you come like Elden Ring was like a really captivating game for me. Like I just got sucked away into that game. And and I feel like every now and then there are games like that that it's very easy for me to get lost in, and it's very hard for me to get pulled out and those are really good titles to escape in and those are really easy titles to use for escape. But in my experience it's almost like uh when something really bad is happening or or I'm going through a lot, it's harder for me to get into a game because of that extra attention that's necessary because I am the person who has to move things forward so I find actually like television is is very effective for me because television is going to keep going whether or not I'm ready or not you know so it kind of drags you along with it and but simultaneously it's a lot easier for me to get snapped out of a a tv show that I'm you know engaged in than it is for a video game that I'm engaged in. If I'm playing a video game that I'm really engaged in, I'm in there and it's really hard for me to get out. But it's hard for me. To, it's harder for me to get in when I'm going through sure. something. So I don't know. It's I think it's a mixed bag. There's definitely some of those special games. Like I think, uh, you know, uh, Halo Two got me through some pretty pretty wild shit, and uh, Shadow of the Colossus was another one. But those are very rare in my experience. Indeed,
1: my mind is just too busy, unfortunately, yeah. to fucking ocd or whatever add adult who the hell knows what's wrong with me that depression adult that i just some D. I just uh what'd you say oh <laughs> it has just some d yeah some some, some d yeah some d oh well ooh. anyway oh dakota oh dakota Ow. thank you for writing him <laughs> greg wallace wrote in said "Slitheads." there's a debate in the fighting game community o- over whether these games should go free to play some argue that the free-to-play model would attract new players, while others counter that we've already seen predatory practice in pre- paid fighting games. Street Fighter V launching with almost no content, frame data locked behind a paywall on Tekken, etc. So imagine how much worse it could get with a free-to-play model. First, I'd like to ask your thoughts on the free-to-play model, and if you think this is the best way multiplayer games can garner a bigger audience. Secondly, since the three of you have each expressed a fascination with fighting games, would a well-made free-to-play game entice you to give it a shot? So I don't want to worry about the free-to-play aspect as far as other games. I want to talk about the fighting games as a free-to-play model and greg writing in actually i thought i think this is an interesting point i don't know why i've never really thought about it i think this could really go one of two ways first of all it's not going to get me any more or less involved i don't give a fuck about free to play games or paid games if i want to play a game i'll buy it it's not a big deal and that's not a prohibit that's not prohibitive for me and i don't think prohibitive for a lot of people i think people are maybe more open to trying things if they're free but that doesn't matter to me it never has but i feel like it could get people attracted but i feel like it could be so nickel and dimed that a game that's requiring such amazing balance could be compromised inherently by having a free to play model. I I don't know how it would work. Dustin, what's your what's your take on the possibilities of a fighting game going to free to play?
4: I don't know if anyone has done it successfully. I'm thinking I think Killer Instinct was free to play and that was an Xbox joint. But I don't know. Yeah, I know that people really like that game, but I don't know how successful it was. The thing that i've been shown over and over in this industry is that free-to-play models don't necessarily have to be bad in fact some of them can be very good and very successful thinking i mean obviously fortnite is a big free-to-play game that people feel wow that the extra stuff can be expensive they don't feel like they have to buy stuff in order to enjoy the game and often when they do they feel that it does enhance their experience so it can be done also genshin impact is huge Mm -hmm. a huge free-to-play game that has a huge community that seems to pull that off well i don't know enough about fighting games to figure out where the paid mechanic or paid mechanics i'm not saying like from a on a a character level mechanic but from a, a wider game like what what do you introduce to be paid is it certain characters are paid uh certain features skins stuff like that Stages. I don't yeah. I don't know what the answer is but I think that it it could work just because over and over we see fighting or not fighting free to play games make the model work if as long as you get the right elements don't let your consumer feel ripped off or that they absolutely have to buy something in order to enjoy the game that seems to be the core of these free to play games that just so many companies don't seem to understand
1: what do you think chris i
3: think it was really well said and also i i just think you mentioned killer instinct and i'm glad you did because i i thought killer instinct was awesome Mm. like when that game came out on uh, xbox one and they had that really weird model where you could buy the whole game or you could just pay for whatever characters you wanted to use so basically, like, the game was, like, uh, this is not exactly the pricing model, but if the game was, like, $30, but you know you're only going to use this guy, you just pay two bucks or whatever. And then you can play the game fully with that character that you – and I, I thought that was really interesting – an interesting way to do that because, yeah, for the most part, when I play fighting games, I, I, I have, like, maybe two characters that I use in that entire roster. And then so other people have other ones, and it's, like, cool, it's fine. Everybody finds their own character that they want to use and i think you could use training for free so you could like try them out and figure out like which one you'd want to use but i paid i bought that whole game just because that's how i you know even as interesting as a as a pricing model as it was i was still like that was early on in this whole generation where i was just like i can't compute this exactly so i'm just gonna buy the thing and not worry about it but as i played it i thought this is a really interesting idea and it's, a, it's an interesting kind of model. It's not exactly free to play, obviously, but the idea of kind of cordoning off sections of the game to kind of tailor the expense to the amount by which the player is going to engage with it, I think that's interesting. And I, I don't know how well it did for them, but I, I thought it was dope. I thought it was really cool. And I thought
1: it was just interesting. So cool. Good thoughts. Greg, thank you for writing in. I like the idea of a free-to-play fighting game if it can be done right. I think it can go off a cliff pretty quick. That's true. Brian Watkins wrote in and said, Hey, gents, I've been avoiding from software like the bubonic plague over the years. Due to its success, I picked up Elden Ring on the PS5, and to my surprise, I ended up loving it. I even have the Platinum after 80 hours. I'm now halfway through Dark Souls Remaster, and it's amazing. I've never been so wrong about these games. My question is this. Are there a series of games or one game in particular that you didn't think you'd like but ended up loving? Keep up the good work, boys. Love the show. You know what comes to mind for me with this? More recently, I mean, Outriders was probably the game that I was really smitten with that surprised people. But a similar game was um was The Division. When that game came out in 2016, I fucking loved it. And I I went into it not really anticipating anything. I never really played a game as a service up to that point. I tried Destiny a little bit, Destiny Vanilla at that point. But I never really tried to play a game that was really made for multiple people playing it by yourself. And I, I didn't really believe that they cared or would do it. And they did it and it worked. And I really ended up, loving that game i had no it because it, it didn't go from like a game i didn't care about to a game that i played it went from a game i didn't care about to a game that i really hold in high esteem i really like the division i'm i'm looking forward to heartland the the red storm free to play which my version which might be coming out imminently however he brought up elden ring and i wanted to bring this up to you guys this is amazing i was looking at this last night i couldn't fucking believe this i want to i'm going to tell you guys about three different games that i played recently and Platinumed one of them. I'm gonna platinum another, and I'm I'm not platinum the third. So the games in question are Far Cry Six, Elden Ring, and Ghostwire Tokyo. Okay, Ghostwire Tokyo's platinum rate is 2.9 percent. Okay, 2.9 percent. Far Cry's is 2.7 percent. 2.7 percent. Elden Rings 6.3 percent. What? When I, when I saw yeah. it, so so you are three times more likely to have the Elden Ring Platinum than the Far Cry Platinum, which is not hard. It's just time consuming. I couldn't believe that. And what it told me was that this game has got its hooks into people in a real way. I mean, most people don't care about trophies and people that do care about trophies might go after them. But a 6%, 6, almost 7% rate is absurd. Dustin, I'm curious first what you make of that and what you make of brian kind of finding his way to from and if there's a game that kind of you followed the same trail with that brian did with with the elden ring yeah
4: well i think that people with from games i mean some people just want the the bragging rights even though it really isn't much of a bragging right to have the platinum in a from game but i think that Particularly with Elden Ring, they did a really good job with the trophies that make people want to go out and get it because it's a way, a path to experiencing more of the game to get the trophy. It's just a really good set, uh, good set and list. So I think that's definitely part of it. I gotta point out here. Uh, listen, people know I read the comments. Some people acting like my 65 hour. Platinum run is is sus or something that I didn't that I either cheated or I I uh cheesed something. Brian here is not a souls player and did it in eighty. So it's really not yeah, not yeah. that I unbelievable would I would people.
1: Meanwhile, it would have taken me I probably would I probably can't do it. I mean, I'm not I'm done with the Elden Ring. I think I'll go back to it maybe one day, which is what yeah. happened with Bloodborne, by the way. But uh for me I'm I'm off it. But um is there any game that's in so did you say your example? Uh no, I not yet. Yeah, so go on. yeah, go on, please. Yeah, so
4: up. for me, it's funny. My my examples, it's, it's not a situation that happens very often to me just because I find that I do a lot of research about games that I'm curious about, and I'm able to determine pretty quickly if it's something I'm going to be interested in and like or not. So I very rarely just go out on a limb and buy something that's a wild card. Particularly, though, recently that was Ghostwire Tokyo because... I didn't like Tango's last two games and I was a little skeptical about the combat and then I ended up really enjoying it. So I know we already talked about it early in the show, but that's the most recent example. And then it's actually kind of my Brian story kind of uh, not exactly applies to me, but is the same in that I kept trying from software games and ended up not really liking them or not really understanding them, particularly... I tried Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2. I bought and tried all of those games and couldn't... I didn't get it. And it wasn't until Bloodborne that it clicked in my brain. Then eventually, of course, I went back and, and played all those games. So overall, though, I find more that there are games that I expect to like and I'm excited about and then don't end up liking really much at all. Monster Hunter World is one of those games that I really thought I was going to be all about, and then it just never
1: click for me at all interesting chris how do you answer this question
3: yeah i mean i famously on the show death stranding mm-hmm. oh yeah that was that was mm-hmm. one yeah, that like i i just it was so dumb looking and i just didn't understand i couldn't i couldn't understand the premise and then like it, it and it sunk its teeth into me like immediately when i started playing and that was probably the most wrong i've ever been and there's, there's a couple other things like gears tactics was it was a game that i played that like I, I had not really been into tactics games because so many of them were like anime or in the case of XCOM, they just looked very generic and so like oh i know what gears of war is you know so it's, it's kind of like this ease into this drama in the same way that kind of like the witcher show was for me when i tried to get into the witcher because i tried the witcher 3 like a feels like a million times and it just never it never stuck with me until i finished the first season of the show and i was like all right i'm kind of i'm kind of familiar with this universe it, I feel like I have an easier way of getting into, it. and that's definitely the furthest i I got into The Witcher Three after I saw that first season. I think I put like thirty hours into it, and there's I'm sure there's a couple of of things like that that I'm forgetting. But to to Brian's point about Elden Ring, it's like it, I think this is the first first from software game that's really clicked with me, and like a real I think Sekiro came really close. I think the gameplay clicked with me, but the actual design of Sekiro didn't click with me and, and Bloodborne didn't click with me and, and the original Dark Souls didn't click with me to the point where like this one has to a degree that I can see myself going back to these games that I've previously hated and probably really enjoying them uh, like because I couldn't stand Dark Souls 1 when I played it I, I actively loathed it like having my sword hit the wall but like the enemy can just swing through it I was like you got to be kidding me with this. This is, this is fucked. I hate this. I put it down after like two hours, I think. I was like, I'm done. And now having played Jesus Christ, I don't even wanna, I almost don't even want to look. Uh, yeah, about 80 hours of Elden Ring. I could probably go back to those games and, and knock them out now. Because I get it. Like I understand what they're going for. I understand the design philosophy. I understand the drive to finish. But yeah, I think it's an interesting story that everybody's having with Elden Ring.
1: I do. It's like really hooked. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated by that, too. Thank you for writing in. Guys, that's all we have for this episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast under four hours. It's unbelievable. Whoa. Chris, you, we did it. You, you have any closing comments? No, I'm just, I'm just glad you didn't get whisked away by a tornado. I know. Again. I know. God, that was so weird. It literally, you know how they have that weather module on the bottom of Windows 10 or whatever, and it says like, it literally said like 65 degrees tornado. I'm like Okay. <laughs> uh, Dustin, closing comments.
4: I have a question for Chris because I just I saw this on Twitter, and I need a a brief follow up. I know we're at the end of the show, but you sure. saw Morbius, and I have to ask just <laughs> why,
3: and is it bad enough that it's worth seeing? No, it's not bad enough that it's worth seeing. <laughs> it's, not it's not so bad that it's hilarious. It's not like Final Fantasy oh, uh what stranger is it? of paradise S- 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 yes, yeah, <laughs> sop, which is an awful abbreviation, but uh yeah, it's it's no. Don't see Morbius. It's not good. Like I got in, like a cousin of mine was like, "You want to see more I got tickets and I was like, "Yeah, I guess. It's free. Fuck it, why not? I I, I got time to kill." It was like the middle of the day. It was like 2. <laughs> it was just it was terrible. I just It was just as terrible as I thought it would be having no expectations and understanding that it was going to be bad and it was somehow just like there's it's a vampire movie with no blood. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's barely any blood in it. It's it's
1: ridiculous. It's been fun watching the uh, the reaction to it. I, I'm not going to see it, but
3: the memes
4: yeah, have been good. Yeah, don't.
1: I like Jared Leto, so stick with 30 seconds. He has a cult. S- s- stick with 30 seconds to Mars. He has a cult, by the way. Is he really? Yeah,
3: you didn't know about that. No. He, like it's it's like an open like there's reporting on it. He has an island full of oh, servants. It's true, very he's mm. an interesting guy. It's very bizarre yeah, he... that like he's just getting movie roles. Like, you you'd think after i don't know certain news things that you'd be careful around people with explicit and public cults but maybe we should start you know, a cult what i mean I?
4: It, with that news it doesn't we, seem like it'd be that hard i mean we maybe kind of already gamer have battalion one.
1: yeah gamer battalion is the oh, cult yeah. we're working on it yeah. well boys thank you for your time today and thank you all out there for your love kindness and support of all things sacred symbols and last stand, remember to support us on patreon patreon.com slash last day media by the way you guys came out in droves thank you so much for um leaving us nice reviews on podcast services we have like a shit ton of new ones on itunes and thank you for that hell yeah uh, i appreciate it appreciate up. your candor yeah keep doing that we it helps us algorithmically but we'll be back next time for episode 198 until then that's it we'll see you next time goodbye see ya take care guys sacred symbols a playstation podcast is a product and trademark of last stand media and Collins last stand llc and is proudly recorded in the usa The show was conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Maranca, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SL the FMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Stephen Innerfield, Salty Trees, My Name is Effing Mayo, Logan Byford, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Nock, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Nuclear Prostate, Jonas Young, Sorta of Serious Gaming. Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Benjamin Muma, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Allen, rui Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffel, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Zouza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, h Tron, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Greek Thunder, of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadeth, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Flowers, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Cruxes, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinninen, Chris, Dave Alvarez Will Hernandez Chris Galvin Justin Gonzalez Mason Cadillac Ollie Fritz Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel Colin Love Daryl E. Naaman Ryan R. Kittredge Toby Ryland Michael S. Dave Bostick, Stewie 108 Patrick Montgomery Daryl Rodriguez Fat Houdini Richter 86 Steve Hodge Barrett Boswell Christopher Devayo Chris Morton Kevin Komaki Johnny Waffles Roto 24 Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason Josh Gravelik Jordan Town Brian Chan Organic Produce Shane St. Pierre Carlos Algarit Dominic Mike Menzel Richard Hebert III Miranda Grubba Josh Yeager Martin Beck Gavin Joey Andrichek, Nathan R Joe McPartland, Gary Cavalli, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lewin Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton Kay, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kinniston, The Rose Experience, and Grizzled Veterans Media, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Jasper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gonholiker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Brent Linkquist, David Aya Colucci, Paul Joyce, The Last of Us Part Two fan, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson-Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Josh Robinson, Mad Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. That wasn't a fart. That was my foot.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home...